Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Hedrick and Arisia and Woody Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, a proud member of the Fire and Water family of podcasts. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from FirestormFan.com. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly from AquamanShrine.net. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, although I am concerned that uh, with the – I don't know how much you've seen of the weather out here in New Jersey, but uh, earlier today it was 70 degrees, and uh, now by the end of the night it will be down to 29. So, what? Yes. So clearly New Jersey was built on proto-matter, so we don't have a whole lot of time before the volcanoes <laughs> start shooting up from the sky, and I'm going to go through Pond Far. So we really should get, get going on this show as soon as possible. Now, isn't, isn't this uh, vortex called Vulcan? Yes, it is, he, oddly enough. He's, he, he's the bad guy who fought the JSA, right? Yes, he is. <laughs> okay. Yeah, watch out for axes. I'm just saying. Uh, folks, we are back for another episode of Who's Who. We are so jazzed about this. Uh, we love this comic. You guys know that. I'm not, I'm, I'm not telling you anything new. But uh, this is an exploration of the uh, 26, issue volumes, uh, 26 volumes of Who's Who, the definitive directory of the DC Universe. Very excited about this. Um, right before we get rolling, though, let's go ahead and give thanks to our sponsor. Folks, uh, the, the Fire and Water Podcast and the Who's Who Podcast are sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Rob, what you got? Uh, this month, or this week, uh, the newest issue of Tomorrow's Back Issue came out, and the, it's number, issue number 71, with a gorgeous Art Adams cover featuring uh, Doctor Strange and Kate Upton as Clea, and the whole theme of the, uh, <laughs> take, take a look at it to see if you agree with me, the whole uh, issue is uh, one-shots, one-offs, characters that didn't go anywhere, and there is an article in there by me um, uh, is about uh, DC's aborted Dick Tracy comic. Uh, so oh. uh, there's also an article by Chris Franklin, nuclear sub Chris Franklin. But uh, so related to that, I picked something uh, Dick Tracy from Instock Trades, which in this case is the complete Dick Tracy Volume Seven hardcover. Um, this volume doesn't collect the flat top storyline that I talk about in the article because that I guess that volume is not available. But this is close. It features Dick Tracy strips from 1941 through 1942. Beautiful hardcover book. Features an intro by Max Allen Collins, no, black and white and color. Normal, uh, page count, 344 pages. Uh, normal price, $39.99. Instuck Trades has it for $27.99, 30% off. It's got a gorgeous giant drawing of the mole on the front cover. <laughs> These are beautiful books. Uh, they're put out by IDW, and they're part of their Library of American Comics collections. They are just such beautiful books, so you can't go wrong. The Complete Dick Tracy, Volume 7, $27.99. Well, that sounds really cool. I mean, I think everybody loves Dick Tracy, and uh, that sounds like an exciting book. And, hey, I really appreciate you staying on, staying on topic with the characters in Who's Who. Well done, sir. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, I picked uh, – actually, my pick was not my pick. My pick came from the listeners of this show. 
Uh, my pick is Batman, The Strange De Deaths of Batman Trade Paperback. On the last volume of Who's Who, I happened to mention there was an old story, uh, an old Batman story I remembered for as a kid, like one of the first ones I ever remembered, where Batman had supposedly died. And all these villains were put on trial, and they were all claiming they killed Batman. Well, turns out that storyline's been collected and is available on stock trades and features Poison Ivy, who's in this issue. Ba -ba! Look at that. <laughs> so, folks, this collects a whole bunch of stories. It collects the story of Batman... Um, again, this is The Strange Death of Batman, which is Batman 291 and 294. And there's a whole lot of other stories in here. you got some Brave and the Bold, some World's Finest Detective Comics. Uh, I am totally buying this. This is getting ordered tonight, and I will have this soon so that I can reread probably one of my very first earliest, or one of my earliest comic book memories, which is that issue of, uh, from that storyline. I can't wait. Now, just so you know, some of the credentials on this thing. Gardner Fox, Carrie Bates, Bob Haney, David Reed, Jerry Conway, Chuck Dixon, Jim Aparo. Yay. Come on! I mean, woo, man. Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. Uh, anyway, page count, 160 pages, full color, normally retails for $19.99. You can get it on in-stock trades right now for $11.59. That is an astonishing 42% off. That's a deal. That is a deal and a half, my friends. So, uh, so pick up this. Pick up the Dick Tracy volume. Grab a couple of the other publications from Tomorrow's Press that's out there. And... Uh, you're bang, you're gonna get right to fifty bucks, you'll be a free shipping, you won't even know what to do with yourself, you'll be so happy. <laughs> Folks, go out to instocktrades.com, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions. All for up to forty five percent off with free shipping on orders of fifty dollars or more. Almost like I'm reading it from a script. Almost. Mm. Almost. <laughs> All right, if this is your first episode of Who's Who, what's wrong with you? Um but just to give you a little background, again, 26-issue series. Now, eventually, we are going to move on to the other volumes of Who's Who. We will cover the <laughs> updates. We will cover the Loose Leaf version. We will cover Who's Who in Star Trek. I crap you not. We're really going to do it. We will cover Who's, who's Who in the Legion. We will cover Who's Who in Impact. It's going to be a lifelong celebration. I look forward to finishing this up in my retirement. Um, Right now, we're covering the first volume. Again, this was, uh, I've said it before, we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of DC Comics. By this point, we're now into the 51st anniversary. And it's an alphabetical listing. Right now, we're going to cover folks just in the letter P, because there's that many good people going P, P. Hmm. I didn't. Wow. It sounded, better, it sounded better in my head. Okay. Anyway, the cover is this great jam of a bunch of different characters we'll talk about in just a moment. Inside, though, you're going to get your entry. You're going to have a, a picture of the character in full color. Uh, Bold up front in your face by some artist that's uh, either astonishing or related to the character. Then in the background, you're going to get a single color background, which is going to have a lot of different images. It's going to have a close-up of their face without their mask. It's going to have some pictures sort of describing their origins or their powers or some important event in their life. And that's called the Serpent, that's single color. You get a cool logo for each character. You're going to get – then you get like their personal data their alter egos, occupations, marital status, height, weight, all that jazz. You get a big block of their history. You get their powers and weapons. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Ma you know this character in and out. Now, um, our goal when we do the show is so that you don't have to have the book in front of you. That's, that's what we're shooting for. But just to help you out, we do post about 10 to 15 pages on our Tumblr. Rob, what is that Tumblr? Fire and water podcast.tumblr.com. Perfect. Go out there. Check it out. You'll find, as I said, 10 to 15 images from this book out there. And uh, with that, we are going to jump into Who's Who, the definitive directory of the DC Universe, volume XVIII. And for you Roman numerally challenged folks, that is number 18. You have a cover by George Perez and Dick Giordano. It is cover dated August 1986. It actually hit the stands, set your wayback machines, folks, to May 15th, 1986. Thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for that date. 
uh, get in your DeLorean, hop back there and get yourself a pristine copy off the shelves. All right. And um, so I mentioned it's a jam cover. This one's kind of fun. Uh, you've got Perez back with Dick Giordano inking him. It's been a while since they've done it done it together um at least what an issue or two since they were together <laughs> yeah i think it was the last issue they did together no, no the last issue was uh, perez by himself oh that's right nightwing and you're right you're yeah. right you're right so i guess it's just been two months but either way uh, i think this is a pretty exceptional cover uh, on the the right hand side if you will the side that's facing out like when it sits on the shelves the main characters you're going to see that the prominent characters are going to be power girl plastic man and phantom stranger those are really who are kind of dominating the cover you had a bunch of other characters on here um rob why don't you tell me some of your favorite bits on this cover and then i'll, I'll kind of chime in with mine well i mean this i'm generally not uh looking ahead uh i, I sort of dig out the old issues just before we record and sometimes minutes before uh <laughs> so so this may change uh, as we get on further on the series but i will say to this point this is my favorite cover that Perez did in terms of the interaction of the characters. This, wow. this has this has so many things I love about how these characters are interacting that it's it's my favorite one to date. I mean, first of all, you've got Plastic Man, who was I've already mentioned before on the show, one of my all time favorite characters. Uh, I loved him as a kid, loved him as a teenager, and I love him as what I laughingly call an adult. Uh, the the way that <laughs> the way that Perez has him interacting with all these different people is fantastic. He's wrapping himself around Power Girl. No fool there. He's uh, the way he's stroking Power Phantom Girl's chin and then running his neck between her legs, which is like yep. you know, a little filthy. Um, then he's looping around Phantom Girl, uh, and then you've got—I mean, just that by itself. I love. And you got Julie sitting on him. What? You got Julie sitting on him too. Oh, that's right. That's right. I was looking in the wrong spot. I'm sorry. So, so, so you notice the theme there with all those characters, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> he's, he's, again, Plastic Man is no fool. I love that you've got Prody riding Plastic Man, one with a cowboy hat. Uh, I love Poison Ivy sitting on the DC Bullet covering – who is that that she's covering in Ivy? I can't tell who that oh, is. Oh, I didn't even notice that. You're right. There's a little tiny face peeking face out of the, in there. I don't know who that is. I love that the one of the little Simon – uh, Scions is like doing his little readout on her. He's got his little scanner out there. Uh, I love Powell Smith sitting on the ice flow created by Polar Boy. Um, you've got the uh, 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 Prince Raw Man standing there looking, uh, freaking out as a predator. It seems like he's attacking Simon, I guess. I don't know why. Yeah, I, th- I think Raman's. Oh, actually, I think Raman's probably facing off with some of the Phantom Zone guys. Oh, that yeah, okay. But Predator, looks Predator like, is Predator's definitely going after Simon. I don't know why they're both bad guys, but I guess Predator just doesn't like anybody. Uh, just, Predator? We'll talk about him in a minute. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, just every, I, I love it. Oh, and Psycho Pirate and uh, what's her name? Phobia. Uh, Phobia. Perfect. Back, perfect. Back bearing. to back. Just to me, this is like this. This is the. Perez loves DC Comics, and it shows through in this cover. I, I gotta, I gotta name some more stuff. You've got Plastique sort of running from Hugo Strange. You've got uh, Pig Iron, who's sneaking up behind um, Pulsar Stargrave. The Scions. It's, I'm glad you mentioned that he's scanning Poison Ivy, because actually they are all, all the Scions, because there's a lot of them on the cover, are sort of like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They're smitten with various women. That one is studying Poison Ivy. Another one is staring at Phantom Girl. No, Phantom Lady, sorry. Yeah. Another one is staring at Power Girl. So they're all sort of checking out the girls. It's funny. Yeah. <laughs> then you've got a Phantom Zone character who looks like she's, I don't know if she's, 
trying to steal the Phantom Stranger's necklace, or she's tickling him under the chin. I don't know what's going on there. Oh, yeah. Something. Because Phantom Girl is actually running from General Zod, which is actually kind of cool, because he's intangible, and she's turning intangible. Oh, you're right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, geez, yeah, you're right. You're right, you're oh. right, you're right. You should get used to saying that. Then you've got the Persuader, who's being attacked by Psy from behind. Now, did you notice Prody when he's got his hat? The other Prody has a lasso, by the way. And the oh, lasso right. and the hat are actually part of their own bodies that they're just transforming. Yes. That's so right. So cute. Yeah, this is so great. I love cute. it. This is so joyful. It's so fun, drawn beautifully. I love everything about it. Just love everything about it. I think if I really wanted to like look for something to, to complain about, I would argue that Plastic Man really should be the main character, not Power Girl or anything like that. It really should be flat-out Plastic Man, but it's okay. But he hadn't had his own series since the 60s. Well, he, he really wasn't correct. selling anything. That's now. true. I mean, he had a cartoon show. Not at this time, but he had his own cartoon series. Seven years prior. Yeah, all right. That's why I said I'm not going to go crazy. I, I, you know. Because at this point, Power Girl was actually in Infinity, Inc. So she was actually Ooh. in books and stuff. Well, I know. well okay. But <laughs> <laughs> now, if I had to pick one thing to complain about, what do you think I would pick? Uh, I don't know. What were you complaining about? Something I noticed this time and I never noticed before, and now I can't unsee it. Plastic Man's neck that's wrapped around Power Girl has gone all chameleon and turned white. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Right again. Oh, yeah. That's I can't unsee that. Yeah, oh, great. Now you've ruined it for me. Which is kind of funny because I've stared at Power Girl's butt a lot (laughs) over the years, and somehow I just didn't notice that. Wow, I've been looking at this book for 25 years. I never noticed that. (laughs) I know. I can't unsee it now. I want to know who Poison Ivy's buried. I think that's hysterical, whoever's under there. I feel so bad for them. He looks happy, though. But look at him. He's smiling at her. Well, it's Poison Ivy. Yeah, I guess so. This this book is Chocolock. How do you say it? Chocolock? What do you say? Chocolock. It's chock a block of hot chicks. I'm yeah, just this saying. Is, yeah, this is yeah. <laughs> Woof! This is the this is the the wow issue. So, um, all right. So great cover. Absolutely love it. Uh, it's fun, and um, I, I'm pretty happy all the way around with it. So, let's get right in. Uh, on the first page is the letters page. So you've got a couple of different letters. There's not a lot of letters I particularly wanted to jump at. Um, <laughs> there's a few things I want to mention. There's a, the first letter is from someone named the Canuck, and that's actually an acronym. And I'm pretty convinced it's got to be Siskoid. So <laughs> just because he's crazy enough to do that sort of thing. Uh, um, there's also – there's this weird uh, – oh, they ask about Ian Carcool, which, by the way, you know, that's like one of my sticking points with who's who is just uh, every time there's a JSA character, they have to talk about Ian Carcool. Well, someone actually wrote in and said, why does Ian Carcool have his own entry? Fair question. Uh, they kind of caught them by surprise. And they're like, well, you know what? That's, that's, a, that's a reasonable request. So, did you did you read? You said you just opened this book five minutes ago. Did you actually look it up before we started recording? Yes, I did. Uh, first of all, I love. There's one question brought in about Martian Manhunter's Martian vision. Yeah, and that is uh, by J.J. Barrett, which has got to be Frank. Actually, that's got to be Probably. his pseudonym. But my favorite bit here is the note at the end. It says, before "Yes, you, do it, do it." Before you write and complain that we left out your most favorite DC character of all, Prez. Please be aware that it was a hotly debated entry. Some of us, including Len Wein, Bob Greenberger, and Peter Sanderson, wanted him. Others didn't. We took the problem to the highest authority around, executive editor Dick Giordano, and he said, nah, drop it. So he's out. If you have a complaint, write to Dick directly at his request. (laughs) That is wild. That is almost like 
the way I read that, I don't know whether to take that as funny or like nowadays when an employee goes on Facebook and writes, my boss is such a jerk. <laughs> you know, I don't know which way to read that. I, I took it as Dick Georgiana was was volunteering to throw himself under that particular bus. <laughs> Prez, it's a presidential bus. Prez, it's, a, it's, Prez, it's a big, it's, it's a caravan, it's, yeah. Well, it's, it's bus one, yeah. wouldn't it? Yep. Uh, Prez does deserve an entry. He had his own series. Yeah. Uh, I think he does deserve an entry, but... But was, he, was he ever in the DC Universe? I don't know. He never was. Okay. I think later on he was, but not at this point. But Well, they drag him into a lot of Vertigo stuff. Yeah, he was in Vertigo like stuff. Yeah, so. <laughs> so we've got our pronunciation glossary. You can learn how to read a lot of, like, um, a lot of different characters in here. Professor, like, Professor Ivo. That's really pretty complicated there. Very helpful. <laughs> um, most importantly, though, you know, we've got your editor, Peter uh, Robert Greenberger, contributing editor, Len Wein. you got all the usual names, Mike Barr, Paul Kupperberg, Paul Levitz, such uh, and such, et cetera, until you get down to copy editor. He's back. Brenda Pope is back. There will be no errors in this issue. This book is back on a right footing, folks. Let's just <laughs> say it. You know, thank God who's who is back, back on course. Because without Brenda Pope, I think we were heading for a train wreck. So just saying. All right. First entry. Now, I have to give a little bit of context here. For those of you who have been listening to Who's Who podcast for a while, you probably know that there's been a long-standing debate amongst myself and the listeners of the podcast of who is the hottest legionnaire. And the debate has taken a couple different forms. So there's been the debate of straight up who's the hottest legionnaire, and you know, we all know that's Phantom Girl. Um, and then there's the form of who has the hottest entry in Who's Who. And as Rob said, I don't like like him. I don't sneak ahead. I don't peek ahead at issues. I wait until it's time to read it. So I knew Phantom Girl was in this issue. So I was very excited to see it. I'm like, okay, here we go. Hottest Legionnaire. Boom. First page. Can't wait for this. And uh, Russell Burbage, I think it was, had warned me. You know, Shag, you might be in for a surprise when we get there. So I'm thinking, all right, it's going to be Dave Stevens, or it's going to be Steve Rude, or it's going to be you know Adam Hughes or Terry Dodson, or some, you know some of those people weren't even drawing back then. But either way, I'm like, all right, can't wait. Open it up. And there it is, first page, Phantom Girl by Jamie Hernandez, who used to draw Love and Rockets. Yes. And the first thing out of my mouth was, what the fudge? Oh, my God. I'm sorry. No disrespect to Jamie Hernandez. Very, very talented artist. Love and Rockets is a largely respected book in the independent world. Not something I care to read, however. And this picture is horrible for Phantom Girl. It's... The inappropriate artist. Again, great artist, wrong subject. I can't believe it. I probably just pissed off somebody, maybe even you, Rob. I don't care. I'm so upset. Tell me I'm wrong. You're Well, you're – look, okay. I have – as we all know, I hate the Legion the way you hate Dick Giordano. So there's no – Oh, my God. There's no – I have no emotional attachment to any of these characters. So they're – I can understand that if you're a huge fan of a particular character and then you were expecting him to be drawn by, you know, somebody that you really love and then they're not, it's very upsetting. Like if, you know, if they were like, oh, hey, we got – I'm, I'm blanking on a name, you know, but we got – we got Rob Life feel to draw Aquaman. Right, exactly. Where well, there you go. I mean, right. Let, let's say that, even though time wise it doesn't work out. But let's, uh, you know, uh, Todd McFarlane to draw. Well, yeah, there you go. I really would have been disappointed. So that said, this is my favorite Legion entry. Oh my God! Yes, and this is one of my favorite things that Who's Who ever did, because to me this was part of the raison d'être of Who's Who was was to get people involved in the DC universe that were never involved before. And in this case, one of the creators of Love and Rockets, 
uh, Jamie or Jaime, I'm not sure I per se, Hernandez, who, as far as I know, never did any other DC comics. I love this drawing. I think this, I mean, first of all, I love his work. I love his work. It's beautiful art. Uh, I love her 70s bell-bottom pants. Uh, I really think this is a beautiful drawing. And to go even further, uh, we mentioned Back Issue earlier. A while ago, like 20 issues or so ago, Back Issue had a thing for all the writers, of which I was one, uh, that said, let's pretend, editor Michael Urey said, let's pretend it's 1985 after the crisis and DC is starting over with all their books and you can put any art team and writing team on a series. There's no restrictions. Uh, obviously, they, the creators had to be living at the time. But other than that, let's pretend you have all power to make any DC series you want being written and drawn by anybody. What are your suggestions? And he picked like everybody, you know, like his favorite ones out of everybody. One of my suggestions was the Los Brothers Hernandez taking over the Legion of Superheroes. I would have loved to have seen that book, and that comes from this drawing. If this, if this is the way Legion of Superheroes had looked, I would have been buying that book. Okay. Here, here's some problems I have. Okay. Again, I respect the man as an artist. I truly do. Love and Rockets is a beautifully drawn book. Again, not for me, but it's a great-looking book. Look at her character. Her weight is 106 pounds. Right. Is that a 106-pound woman? Uh, well, well. Okay. D- d- yes or no? Probably not. She's not 5'9", okay. though. I mean, I think the proportions are... If, if, She's 5'6". Right. Uh, um, oh, 5'6". So you, you that's he, still fairly tall. You know who he should have been... And, and I'm fine with him being drawing somebody in Husu. That makes perfect sense. He's, he's a great artist. He is very much of his time. He should have been. He should have been put on Big Barda. Or Beautiful Dreamer. You know, someone like that. Some Kirby-type character. He would have been... I, like Now, if... if you know, doing that same analogy of 1986 or whatever, you need to create the DC Universe, put him on a New Gods book? That would have been awesome. Put the brothers on a New Gods book? That would have been great. That's exactly they, – they should be drawing Kirby characters because it's not that far off model and their art's fantastic. That would be ideal. This character, not so much. Okay. Well, I think we beat this point home a lot. Yeah, I think we we'll disagree to disagree on this one. That's fine. So, all right. Now, my other issue with this is that – She's a very important character of the Legion. It even says in here she has the longest consecutive membership in the team's history, and yet she has the tiniest bit of text. I mean, they really gave her short shrift on text. And it's just it, – I feel like the whole entry is a, me- a miss for me. Now, to go over the art, it's her in her white pantsuit sort of 70s costume with the – it looks like someone went at her costume with a pair of scissors and cut out various holes in places. Um, there's a very beautiful close-up of her face on the right-hand side. In the, in the red serpent, there's a neat shot of her phasing through something. Uh, and then there's her sort of being lovingly with her boyfriend, um, Ultra Boy. Yep. And then it looks like you've got a shot of her and maybe Superman. Oh, Monel. I think it's Monel, yeah. And, and maybe Shrinking Violet doing something. I'm not sure. But I like the serpent. The serpent's nice. And, um, you know, so there you have it. That's that entry. And Rob and I will continue to disagree. Okay. So I promise, folks, it's going to get better. <laughs> Starting with page two. Yeah, you want hot, then here you go. You want hot. <laughs> here it is. Uh, entry for Phantom Lady, drawn by none other than Dave Stevens. <laughs> I do believe this entry, in addition to Dolphin, pushed many young men into puberty. Right here, Yeah, folks. talk about throwing one right over the plate, getting Dave <laughs> Stevens to draw this entry. <laughs> if you don't know Phantom Lady, she's a character from the 1940s who 
was pretty much always known for having very, very little costumes. Her, her costume's about the size of a washcloth. And she's crazy hot, and she uses her sex appeal as part of her shtick. So getting Dave Stevens to draw her was a total dead-on hit. Very well done. She's uh, she, Now, in, to, to talk about his drawing, he made her very, very muscular, which yes, is sort of interesting. Did. Yeah. And here's something that kind of shows that, and I don't know whether they thought this through or not. But uh, Phantom Lady's five foot six. As I mentioned, uh, Phantom Girl is also five foot six. Phantom Girl's one hundred and six pounds. She's a dainty little thing. Phantom Lady's one hundred and twenty eight pounds. Now I don't know if that's all breast weight or it's supposed to represent these muscles, but she's uh, she's obviously you know in this case it looks like it's the muscles because muscle weighs more than you know everything else. So uh, I, I I I like that. I don't know. I just felt like that was thematically done well. Am I crazy with that? I think you're probably reading into it a little bit. I think Dave Stevens was just more trying to just give it a just, you know, as opposed to just making a total cheesecake. Like, okay, well, she's she's proud of her body because she's super buff and she's a superhero and she didn't have a lot of powers other than this little ray that she zapped at people and made the blind as you see she's doing this to two Nazis here. So, you know, I think he was just trying to just give something a little little extra. I mean, it's a beautiful drawing. I love the background with the stars and everything else, and the colors are great. It's just, it's it's a beautiful, I mean, it's Dave Stevens. The composition in this one, dude, is genius. Yes. yeah. As, as, he, as Rob mentioned, there's stars, you know, very Amer- patriotic flag sort of thing, situation behind her with the blue, blue background with the white stars. There's a circle surrounding her like a halo. You've got a couple of Nazis at her feet, which are in color, but then she's zapping them with the black light, so they become single color, so it almost becomes part of the serpent. Uh, very cleverly done. Yeah. Very well done. If you don't know her costume, it, it I mentioned before it's teeny tiny, but it's basically a, a green cape and a yellow bathing suit that covers the waist and then comes up in little tiny strips over the breast. It's, it's teeny tiny, and she's got goggles. Um, and she's now going past it. This is her first incarnation. There were two more incarnations of Phantom Girl, all of which were all about, about sex appeal, which I think makes her probably like the Grand Duchess of Titillation. Um, so congratulations on that. So it, also her history kind of goes through. She's been on a number of teams. She's been on the All-Star Squadron. She's been part of the Forever um, – no, Freedom Force? The Freedom Wait, Force. Am I that? Freedom Fighters. Freedom Fighters. I couldn't come out. See, I wrote down FF, so it threw me. Uh, Freedom Fighters. And her, her entry does go into some of the nonsense about going back and forth between Earth-X and Earth-1 and Earth-2 and all that, which drives me nuts because I don't think we need that level of detail in her entry. But um, overall, I think it's, it's very well done. She, her power is to shoot, as we said, a, a black light, basically creating shadows. Uh, it's black. They call it a black light ray projector. And it can also be used to make herself invisible. So, you know, I'm, I forgot to mention the previous entry, Phantom Girl. Her power is to go immaterial, and she can face through objects. Should have yes. mentioned that. Yeah. So, um, very cool. Oh, and she uh, is the cousin of Starman, Ted Knight. That's right. Awesome sauce. All right. Wow, those are two. Those two entries just couldn't be more different to me. So, I'm glad you like both of them. I do. We're on a roll here. We're, on a, we're this is a hat trick here. <laughs> okay, fair, fair enough. Phantom Stranger is next. You've got his gorgeous classic logo from his own series, drawn by none other than Jim Aparo. Yay! The man sh- I think Rob just had an aneurysm. Um, <laughs> the man who should draw him because he drew his own ongoing series. Yes, he did. Now. I'm going to let you cover most of the Phantom Stranger entry, but I want to point out the first thing, which is his occupation, which is a conscience 
advocate. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think uh, Senator Bernie Sanders is the same thing. Uh, yeah, this is the Phantom Stranger that he first appeared in Phantom Stranger number one, which was, I remember at the time being surprised that I didn't know that. I didn't either as until a, just now. As a kid. I, I learned it later in the, when I used to read the uh, Overstreet Guides. But uh, I think at this point I was like, Phantom Stranger had its own series? Like, I don't oh, think I, I, knew, I, I knew that, but I figured he first appeared in like JLA or House of Secrets. Yeah, I didn't know. Right, yeah. Well, I think, right. Um, and then I you know, went and looked it up and I realized that the Phantom Stranger had a series in the 50s. I didn't know that. I was like, oh, geez, okay. Um, so it doesn't really get into his origin here because at this point they had not revealed it. Uh, this was still a couple of years before uh, Secret Origins came out where they gave you the four different potential <laughs> or Huh? Just a few months before. Oh, was it? Was that soon? Okay. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it's drawn by Jim Aparo. He's fighting some crooks there. He's fighting a demon. We see him without his, uh, we see him without his, his hat on. He still manages to have the dark uh, brow leaning over his eyes there. Giving <laughs> a little effect. Um, yeah, this is, I mean, he's the perfect guy to do him. My Phantom... Favorite Phantom Stranger adventures are the ones by Jim Aparo and Lynn Ween. So I'm so glad they got him to do it. Very, very simple. I always love this character. And uh, again, I think it's a – history-wise, there's not a lot here, uh, even though he's done a lot because you know so much of it is just unexplained. His powers tend to be whatever the hell the writer needs him to have at any given moment. So there's no need to get terribly specific about uh, these things, although it does mention he is a formidable opponent. But can be overcome <laughs> by greater supernatural powers, and if taken unaware, physical attacks. So you can like hit him over the head, I guess, if you sneak up on him. I like where it says here that basically his role is to counsel people who are having trouble, and then he's trying to get them to take action to fix their own lives. Right. And then only steps in when there's a supernatural threat. I thought that was pretty cool. Yep. The serpent, as you mentioned, is gorgeous. I mean, that that, that close-up shot you talked about is perfect. Him zapping what it looks to be, you know, basically a ghostly. You know, demon, Gergasi, or you know, whatever you want to call it, spiritual demon. And then there's this great shot of these people with, I think it's a pitchfork and a, and a torch. torch. Yeah, yeah. And he's kind of protecting some woman. I mean, it's just really nice, really well done, exceptional page. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I will mention one last thing about Phantom Changer, just because it's appropriate, and not to toot my own torn here, but uh, many years ago, uh, Lynn Ween had a massive fire at his house, and he lost his entire comic collection. Uh, mm. Apparently, other things as well, not just as comics. But anyway, uh, right after that, Mark Evanier, his longtime friend and comic book writer, Mark Evanier, um, had a sort of um, uh, I can't think of, I'm blanking out on a word, not a contest, but had a like a fundraiser, let's put, for everyone out there to replace Len's comics. So mm -hmm. he made a master list of all the comics Len lost, and it was like if you have copies of these books that you want to donate to this. Uh, you know, write me and I'll make sure that, you know, those are taken off the list and that way nobody's repeating, nobody's mailing the same comics over and over again. So anyway, I had a complete run of The Phantom Stranger. Uh, and so I donated all the ones Len wrote. Uh, oh, and wow. I sent them to Len. So now they are part of Len's collection where those issues of Phantom Stranger that I had. So uh, again, not to toot my own horn, it's just more like, I'm like proud that if I had to like I you know I knew I was going to get rid of them eventually because most of the comics I've gotten rid of but like I'm really glad that they've resided back with him because his his Phantom Stranger with apparel is my favorite ever Phantom Stranger. It's kind of awkward. I saw him selling his collection on eBay last Ooh, week. Boy. Mm -hmm. Just kidding. Hope he got a lot of money for him. Um, you got to mention there's there's some guy out there who does a 
Phantom Stranger blog from time to time. Well, I, I don't want to mention it because I haven't updated it in a long time. But it's got a ton of history. It does. There, Yeah, there is my Phantom Stranger blog. I am the phantomstranger.blogspot.com, which chronicles every appearance of the character in publishing order, starting from Phantom Stranger number one in 1955 all the way through. I think I stopped around like the second or third issue of his current new 52 series. So, yeah, if you, you, you covered everything. Yeah, every single appearance. Holy crap, I didn't know you got that far. In order, in order, including the issues of comic books that Phantom Stranger appeared in that are not published by DC Comics. <laughs> okay. They're, they exist. All right. All right, we're, we're going to move on. Oh, All my right. gosh. We're, we're, we're going, I just realized we're going so slow, we're only on the third entry. Yep. Well, there's been two, got, two out of three good ones, so. All right. Oh, wow. Um, I'm not letting that go. Sorry. I'm, I'm personally offended that that happened. All right, next up. Two-page spread for The Phantom Zone. Dun-dun-dun-dun. By Rick Veach. And uh, this is an interesting one, because Rick, as far as I could tell, really hadn't done any Superman-related books at any point. Now, he had just, at this point, sort of t- taken over Swamp Thing when this was written, or this was created. So... Uh, I don't know. Was the Phantom Zone used in his Swamp didn't, Thing run? Didn't he do the last issue of DC Comics Presents, which featured Superman in the Phantom Zone? Wasn't that his? Oh, well, you know what? Maybe he did. Because see, that I, I only looked up to a certain point, and that issue hadn't come out yet. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, that was him. So, that, I mean, that issue was still uh, like a month or two away. Okay. And I kind of stopped literally at where this came out, so that must be what it was. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. Um so if you read through the – first of all, the art's beautiful. Uh, he, he's got all the little heads on the left-hand hand side and the right-hand side, sort of like the old JLA covers used to. And it's got pictured all these different criminals that have been inside the Phantom Zone. Well, not all criminals because mon in there too. But it shows you all the different Phantom Zone people. Then in the center, you've got this neat piece of like the executioner who's zapping General Zod into the Phantom Zone. And you can see mon in the background in a ghostly sort of way. It's a really good usage of the serpent. Because all yep. the Phantom Zone people that are trapped in the Phantom Zone are in the Serpent single color. General Zod's a great example because he's he, – the shackles that are holding him are still in color, and yet he is in the single Serpent color, which is really cleverly done. And you get to see all the folks back there, and some of them look sort of monstrous. And you, there's, there's the, the large demon Aether who's supposedly a demon who controls the Phantom Zone space or whatever. Um, did you read the entry on this recently? No, I don't have that kind of time. It's, it's extraordinarily long, and it's extraordinarily detailed. Some of it's fascinating, and I'm sure someone who's a Bronze Age fan or, or Silver Age fan of, the, of Superman ate this crap up with a, with a spork. But some of the things that I thought, found interesting is that Jor-El discovered the Phantoms when he was trying to find a way to save Krypton. But he discovered it was such a horrible place to be stuck, and he's like, no, we can't possibly do that. But I've got an idea. We could stick criminals in there. Like, oh my God, what a what a jackass! Uh, and as you they don't read have here, they don't have the death penalty on Krypton. I, I know. Well, that's exactly why I did it. As you read through here, it, there's a lot of pull up politics in here. Uh, there's a creepy level of detail on how you're zapped into the Phantom Zone. It's like a little disturbing. Then there's a device they use to communicate to people in the Phantom Zone that I have to mention because it's called a Zonophone. <laughs> Best name ever. Anyway, and it seems like almost everybody who got zapped into the Phantom Zone, because remember, Jor-El created it, seems like everyone who got zapped in there all have ties to Jor-El somehow. Like, he uncovered their de- misdeeds and then sent them to the Phantom Zone. So much so that as I read through this, it started reminding me of, like, an 80s mystery plot where some cop keeps catching all these villains and executing them, and it turns out 
that really it's the cop doing all the dastardly business and he's trying to cover it all up by getting killing people? You know, uh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I, it just made me wonder. Maybe Jor-El's actually the bad, bad dude and everything we hear are the stories from his point of view. I think it's more – I don't think it's as uh, nefarious as that. I think it's more like, you know, when you have a hammer, all your problems look like a nail. <laughs> I don't like that. Um, there's a bit in here about how someone they pulled someone out of the Phantom Zone. And so in the Bronze Age, apparently they actually had a depowered Kryptonian working at the Daily Planet. <laughs> <laughs> See, once again, God bless John Burns' revamp of Superman. <laughs> And I feel so t- terrible for mon Like, I'm reading through all the horrible people that are in there and how horrible places. I'm like, he was in there for a thousand years. Oh, my God. That's horrible. And then it ends with, this is interesting, the exact fate of the Phantom Zone and Aether's entire, that's that demon who, like, rules the, the universe or whatever. Anyway, and, and Aether's entire realm remains unknown, but there is another story to be told and soon. Hmm. Which is a nod to the DC Comics Presents, which happens like a month or two from now. So, And it's fair to mention that this comic, you know, it came out just two months before John Byrne's revamp of Man of Steel. So, I mean, this was this is the winding down. Say goodbye, you know? folks. <laughs> Thank you, drink. All right. Another winner right there. Too bad about that first one. Okay, um, stop. Next up, Phobia by Chuck Patton and Carl Ke- Kiesel. Kessel. Which one is it? Kiesel, I think. Kiesel? Okay. Phobia by Carl Kiesel. And uh, this is a beautiful... Uh, Chuck Patton and Carl Kiesel. This is a beautiful drawing. Really well done. I was actually surprised this wasn't a Perez drawing because I expected, you know, it's one of his characters. I expected it to be Perez. But Chuck Patton was drawing the tales of the New Teen Titans at this point or around in this era. So he's sort of an ideal person to pick up some of the ones that Perez wasn't able to do. Nice picture of Phobia in the foreground. She's got her, you know, hand out, zapping somebody with her, her powers, which is to obviously create fear and stuff, and wrapped around her legs are several monstrous creatures, snakes and giant rats and little horned demons, in a blue serpent. And then behind her is a pink serpent. It's so a she nice actually effect. Got two, it's a real nice Yeah, she effect. actually got two color serpents. Close-up of her face without her cowl, so it's kind of interesting to see her with hair, because I'm not used to that. She has such a, a tight scalp cover that you never really see her hair. So seeing her that without her hair, I mean, it's it almost makes her look like a Morticia a little bit. Yes, ex- like an, except- evil, an evil Shelley Duvall. <laughs> With eyebrows beyond reasonableness, though. I'm sorry. <laughs> they look like antennas. And then uh, her, her torturing a raven with a trigon face. So I am actually not a fan of this character. Uh, I've never really cared for this character very much. However, I'm jazzed by this drawing. And then when I read her history, it was very detailed. It was very rich. And it was very interesting. So while I have never been a fan of the character, I certainly gained a huge respect for her in reading this Who's who entry? So I, I was pretty impressed. Now it talks about um, when she's part of the Brotherhood of uh, Evil and how she kind of came in. There was this huge bat war almost between the Brain and Madame Rouge and all the different permutations of that and how the different people got involved and how the, the, the different brotherhoods were battling each other and the Titans were tied into it and Zandia. It's really fascinating stuff. I was very impressed. Yeah, it's a great drawing. It's a really great drawing. It gives, a, I think, a minor character a real, a real lift. Yep. Well done. All right. Another winner, except for that first one. Next page. Pied Piper by Carmine Infantino and Dennis Jansen. Um, for Carmine Infantino, at this period of his life, it's fine. But 
given the dynamics and the excitement of Flash villains, it's it's unfortunately he, he used that same pose. Yep. And we'll see it again throughout this issue. <laughs> well, he uses the same pose every time, other yeah. than his other than his Barry Allen Flash. Everyone has had basically the same pose, which is just sort of standing there with a, a shoulder, you know, a hand on a hip, and showing off their weapon of choice. Yeah. So it's, it's a bit disappointing. Um, let's see. The things that were interesting in this to me is he's got several aliases: Hartley Rathaway, Thomas Peterson, and Henry Darrow. And as I read through it, there's, there's this whole section about his parents. He came from a rich family, and they tried to cover him up, uh, cover up his, his interest in music and stuff like that, and his, his, his crimes. And he, he was you know, a rich kid who used hypnosis because to, to, he was bored on people. Anyway, it, it almost reads like the first couple of paragraphs, like, this reads like a giant retcon. So I don't know enough of my Flash history, but i got to assume they introduced him under one name and either mistakenly gave him another name and they had to figure out how to do it, or they just retconned his history and gave him a different name because it reads like that. I don't know if you noticed that when you were reading it. No, I didn't really. You didn't read it, did you? No. Okay, thanks. Uh, either way, I like the Bide Viper, and um, I guess I, I don't know. It's not bad. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's no Phantom Girl, but I, I wish it had been a little more. That's all. Doesn't it feel like there's something missing in that space between eyes and hair and then history? There's a big white space for no particularly good reason. Yeah. The typesetting's off here, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I find that uh, most Flash villains, to me, outside of their natural context, look really stupid. Like, they work within the Flash book. Uh, but okay. when they are presented by themselves, you're like, come on, really? You know? Hey, Pied Piper was really good in that Fla- Firestorm comic we read a couple months ago. Yeah, no, no, no. I, no I, don't, I don't mean that they can only appear in Flash. <laughs> I just think they need to be part of... I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. Let's move on. Well, the rogues work very well together. I guess so. We, we I guess. should mention the background. You do see a picture of him without his little silly cap on. You see him playing a, a two-horned um, brass instrument of some kind. And then you see him pl- playing a, a pipe, and it's uh, it's befuddling Barry Allen Flash. So, yes. Yeah. Nice logo. And he's got his pixie boots. Looks like Murphy Anderson should be right. Yep. All right. Next up, a very interesting entry for or Pig Iron by Scott Shaw. Attention, Sean <laughs> Corey. <laughs> I love this logo. This logo is so boss. It's awesome. The P is actually like a vice, and uh, it's uh, so it's all riveted and stuff. So you've got pig iron in the foreground, like arms over his head, being like rah. You've got several shots in the background. I've I've said it before. Scott Shaw knows how to do a who's who entry. He really does. You've got him bending a, a two. Uh, was an I beam. You've got him knocking out an armadillo. You've got him looking at his friend Wolfie, and you've got uh, this cute little picky face. On the bottom corner, which is just him before he became Pig Iron. Now, you know what I found out to be the most interesting thing about this character that I did not know? Do you know anything about his secret identity? Well, the, I mean, he's Peter... I feel silly even saying it. But now he's Peter Porkchops, and that was, a, that was a character. That was a funny animal character from DC Publishing in the 40s and 50s. Exactly. I had no idea. Yeah. Because well, when I was reading it and I get to first appearance is leading comics number 23. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, that's from like 1947 or something like that. That's exactly what it's from, is 1947. Ah, zing! So he was in leading comics for a few, because, you know, I do my research. He was in leading comics for a few issues, and then moved on to his own series, his own Peter Porkchop series, that lasted 62 issues. Yep, yep, yep. Holy crap! I had no idea any of this. So DC, I guess in the, I DC in the late 40s and 50s published a couple of superheroes, and then all other genres... Funny animal stuff well, say, was huge. 
Yeah, they, well, they say Peter Porkchops was one of the more beloved ones that DC put out. So, I, I love that he's got these great nicknames. Uh, Pig Iron is the Swine of Steel, <laughs> the Porcine Pork uh, Powerhouse. I love it. And then uh, let's see, he's got well, known relatives, none, but we haven't read all of Peter Porkchop's stories lately, <laughs> which means they haven't gone back and reread those old comics. Which even, is so even Peter Sanderson was like, "All right, uh, okay, enough." I don't I've got a limit. I've got, a I got, limit. I got my limit. Yeah. <laughs> And then uh, his fighting ability, this is interesting. He goes, his metal hide is virtually impregnable, though he has been scorched by, hit, uh, by lasers. He has not studied any particular fighting methods, but when you're that strong, who needs them? <laughs> what a fun entry. The text is great. The art is great. This is an absolute win. So love, love, love the pig iron drawing. Very cute. All right, the whole piece. Yep. All right, up next is one that threw me when I first noticed it. It's Plasmus. Another member of the Brotherhood of Evil from the Teen Titans, New Teen Titans. And George Perez is involved with the drawing, but he's not the penciler. Who's the penciler, Rob? Marv Wolfman. What? what? Yep. Did you know he was an artist? No, I figured that this was just uh, DC was like, what the hell? You know, let's, <laughs> let's let Marv give it a shot. So what the hell? And we'll bring in a ringer as the inker. <laughs> that that way, you know, there's no, and you can see the Perez is inking here. I mean, you can, you know, you can tell. Oh yeah. So I mean, I think it was just let's just have some fun. Let's let Marv draw one of his characters that he's been writing, and it comes out the pose is not great. He's just sort of just standing there, but but it's not it's not bad for somebody who's not an artist. Not bad. Well, I assume he was probably an artist at some point. I mean, like I don't think uh, even Jerry Conway, I think one time said like all the the writers should you see at one point were trying to be artists all and they right. figured out they couldn't draw. So okay, but I mean, I'm well, just, all right, but even if he was, you're, you were talking twenty years ago at this point. Right, absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, if you got to pick someone to draw that you may not do a good job on, Plasmus is a brilliant one to do. Right, you don't have to worry about anatomy. Right, he's he's all amorphous. Yeah. He's got. Yeah. You know, bubbling boils everywhere. So if you screw something up, they just make it that. So it's perfect. So Plasmus is this giant, uh, disgustingly. Um, it looks like uh, Pizza the Hut from Spaceballs. Yeah, he's been he's been dosed with radiation and chemically chemicals, and basically anything he touches turns to living uh, turns living matter to protoplasm. It just dissolves it. Basically, it's really a gross, gross thing, and. Um, it's kind of a sad story. I mean, he was a mine worker, and General Zal, like, he got injured in a mine uh, collapse or something, like a mining accident. And General Zal came in and, and made it worse by adding more stuff to the mix and turn, turned him into a villain. It's, ugh, it's not it's gross. Now, it, there's a nice picture in the back here um, of Kid Flash, like, just bailing, barreling great. through him. <laughs> it's awesome. Now, what, what I don't get, though, is if everything he touches dissolves, wouldn't that really hurt? Kid Flash? Uh, maybe, maybe he's, he's vibrating oh, the aura. in a way. Uh, the yeah, aura. the aura, yeah. Could be that. Could be that. All right. Nice one. Um, the, the, the Serpent's a little weak, but, you know, Wolfman did the design. You, you can't fault him for it. So. It's a lark. Not that the art's bad. It's just there's not much there. There's a lot of white space. It, it's, it's meant to be a lark, and it is. Yeah. So there we go. Next up, Plastic Man by Joe Staten. I was not expecting to like this entry at first. When I heard Plastic I, I have mixed feelings on Plastic Man. I really do. Like, I like it when it's like Kyle Baker kind of Plastic Man. Um, I don't like him like in the Justice League, things like that. And I, and then when I heard it was Joe Staten, who in my opinion has had kind of a very, very unpredictable who's who nature. Some have been great. Some have been misses as far as I was concerned. I was a little nervous when I saw this. It's absolutely awesome. I love this Plastic Man entry. 
Really great art. Uh, Joe Staten, as I mentioned, did it. He, and now, he drew Plastic Man's Adventure Comics run, so, I mean, he really was a great choice for it. I think it's fun. So you got Plastic Man on the front in sort of a, actually kind of a boring pose for him, now that I think about it. I guess he could have done a little more of that, but, I, but he looks like Plastic Man. He looks exactly like Plastic Man should look. In the background, you've got him stretching, fighting some villains. You've got Woozy Winks with him. You've got, you see him as Elo Brian, the, the, the bad guy. You see him turning his own legs into a unicycle, and he's wheeling away. You've got him as a, hidden as a lamp and a, and a post box, or a, what do you call it, a mailbox. So there's some fun stuff going on here. Now, you as a Plastic Man fan, how do you feel about this? See, now, this is where I'm going to flip you on this side. I, everyone knows, everyone's been listening to the show at this point, I love Joe Staten's work. I have mm-hmm. said nothing but nice things about Joe Staten's work in Who's Who and in general and in life. I've always been a giant fan. I even got to color Joe Staten's work at one point for a project. Oh, Wow. So, uh, you know, my and, – and I've met the man and interviewed him. Very sweet, great guy. I'm just huge fan. I do not like this entry because of what you just said. Plaxton Man's just standing there. Yeah, of, I didn't realize – there's one character, there's one character that should not just be standing there, it is Plastic Man. Now he's stretching the background though. No, no. He should not just be standing there. I'm just yeah. – I'm sorry. They should have worked out a way – Maybe make the drawing more uh, horizontal so they could have him stretching or something. Just to me, it just does not convey the fun of this character. I'm not, I, have any, I have no issues with Joe Satan having done it because, as you said, he drew the character in Adventure Comics, and those were good, those were, uh, good stories. Um, but just that pose is so disappointing to me. That Again, Joe has limited space, and you see him using his powers in the background, but just to me, it's like I, he needs to be flying all around the page you, you know, or something. You know what would have done it? If they corkscrewed his legs. Something. It's just, just yeah. him just standing there. Just like, ugh. So, you know, yeah. That's my I, only I still thing. like it. I, I, because it, it looks like the Plastic Man from the cartoon to it me. It does. It does. And the classic logo. I mean, it, yeah, yep. I still love this character very much. And you see Woozy Winks down there, which is great. But it just, eh, just, I, I, you know, like I said, everyone knows I love Joe Staten's work. I always have, always will. This is just, to me, a miss, and it's a bigger miss for me because I love Plastic Man. So maybe it's the same thing with, with Phantom Girl. I have an emotional attachment to this character that bo- it bothers me more than I think it would somebody else who maybe doesn't care as much. Uh, okay. okay. There we go. Thank you. Seen a little bit of my side. I, don't I saw your side in the beginning. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Um, re- rewind the tape. Listen again. It's interesting. His origin is not that dissimilar from the Joker's. No, it's very yeah. He's got chemicals poured on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he's a criminal. He falls in a bat of chemicals. Yeah. He, he sneaks away. I'm like, wait a minute. So if, if I read this right, if the Joker had basically, instead of going to a plastic surgeon, had gone to a monastery. He'd been rescued he by a bunch of monks, hero. yeah. He would have become a hero, huh? Yep, maybe so. Interesting. Uh, yeah. and, and I don't know why they felt the need to create a new um, – Government branch of investigation, the NBI, the NBI. <laughs> the National Bureau of Investigation. I don't. What, why was that necessary? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the, the FBI uh, wrote them and said, "Stop making fun of us." All yeah, right. J. Edgar Hoover started investigating. Uh, you notice she first appeared in Police Comics number one, which is the first appearance of also Phantom Lady. So that's a pretty historic, oh, pretty historic I issue. I did not pick up on that. No. Yeah, look at that. Wow, that Phantom Lady picture. Oof, man, get my blood going. All right, next up. Speaking of getting my blood going, plastique. For you matchheads out there, this is your firestorm moment. Uh, plastique by Joe Brazowski and Del Barris. Barras? 
Del Barris. Who is that? I always thought Del, Del Barris. I always thought. Who is he? I, I don't think I've ever seen his name before. Oh, he's come, he did a bunch of DC inking in the 80s. Yeah? I'm familiar with that name, yeah. Well, he's really good. Um, this, this is an exceptional pick. I, I think this is a great entry for her. Uh, she, the, the background, her face, she did, you've got the background picture without her mask. I mean, she doesn't wear a mask, so, but it's still a close up of her face in the background. Absolutely beautiful. You've got her blowing up some airplanes in this, in the background, which is kind of scary. And then you've got her blasting firestorm. And in the foreground, you've got her in her costume. She is just standing there, but she looks poised like she's getting ready to go do that pointed toe kind of conveys so much of like, she's getting ready to go kick some ass. It's a really good drawing. Joe Brozowski is a good penciler, but it's not always the strongest. His inker really heavily influences how the drawing comes out, and this inking I think is really, really well done. Yep. So I think I think this guy's a great match for him, or he's just a really strong inker, one or the other. But it just came out great. Now we covered Plastique in a recent issue, uh, Firestorm, for the Fire and Water podcast. So it's kind of interesting to read. This is you know a few years later, how far along she goes. I mean, by this point. She's done with uh, carrying bombs around. She's actually gained powers. She actually has explosive powers now where she can zap people and cause explosions. You get um, – she's actually – here it, it which talks about she actually attacked the U.S. and Canada. I think she sort of lost her focus as being, being a, a Canadian liberation fighter. So Now, I, I got something I, – I want to notice this as we read future issues of Firestorm. Her costume here is different than it was in Firestorm, Fury of Firestorm number seven. But essentially, the, the biggest issue being the cleavage is gone. Like, she had a really plunging neckline before, and there was, you know, cleavage everywhere, and which one of the reasons it made her so popular. And here, the design is still similar to it, except it's a colored, a blue piece of fabric where the cleavage would be. You see what right. I'm talking about? Yep. I wonder if there was a coloring error somewhere along the lines, or maybe, maybe it is just a costume change. Or if there was a coloring era that became a costume change. So I'm going to be looking for that. So what I'm saying is I'm going to be staring at plastic breasts in future issues mm, of Firestorm. Oh, yeah. I'm going to take one for the team there, folks. Uh, there's one more thing worth noticing. When, when Firestorm defeated Plastique in their first outing, the way he defeated her was he, he dis- disintegrated her costume, basically transmuted it into air, and the bombs fell off, and she stood there nude. And the point of that was to embarrass her. So as she's trying to make a statement, it was kind of hard in front of the press to make it, you know, to keep your composure while you're naked. Well, I, it took me a while to realize the background picture, the close-up of her face, she's naked. Right. So that's sort of representing that. So it's clever. Although, she does, although her face doesn't represent that. But no, but I mean, you can see that you realize her shoulder yeah. is showing. She's not shitting everything on. Right, so yeah. that's, that's yeah. representing that moment. Yeah. But I, I thought that was nice. Because huh? I, I really still stand by. I think that's the moment everyone remembers from Firestorm number seven. All right. Next up, Poison Ivy. By Steve Rude. Now, under any other normal circumstances, I would say, hell to the yeah, Steve Rude doing Poison Ivy, I can't wait. Unfortunately, this one, to me, just didn't come together. Hey, you, you can tell me I'm wrong. No, but I would know. I agree. I, I don't know what happened. It's almost like maybe there was uh, a ghost inker or something. I don't know. This, this is, I mean, the minimalism is there. The minimalism that Steve does with lines to, con- to convey things is there, but it just didn't come together for some reason. Yeah, by Steve Rude's very high standards, this is one of his lesser pieces, and it's more disappointing when it's a character so perfectly attuned to his style. Um, I don't I, like here. Also, isn't she? She was always a redhead, and here she's chest. They say it. She's colored. The hair's colored brown in the picture, and it says chestnut in the listing. 
But as far as I always knew, she was red-haired, but maybe that's been something that's just more been uh, over the last 20 years or something like that. Uh, yeah, I, just... I, I, I always thought she was chestnut. Okay. Other than the, 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 the one piece in the serpent of her snuggling up to Batman, which looks great. I love the shadows, the way it falls on his face. Yeah. Uh, and and the, the, the plant creatures, they look cool. Yeah, I was disappointed in this one. If I just looked at the, the, the main picture of her in front... And someone said, "Oh, that's a Luke McDonald drawing." I'd believe him. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't really look like Steve Rude. So, kind of strange. Uh, a few things to note in here. I, I never noticed because they actually tell you here in the, in the origin. Her, her initials, Pamela Isley, is P.I., which is where she took Poison Ivy from. Ah, okay. I didn't know that. No, that's you know you, you always talk about how people who are given certain names at birth unfortunately dictates where their power. Yeah, is right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. It's, oh, there's there's a funny thing, too. I love this one. Who's who decides to champion an issue, and they decide to straighten out some continuity. So it says in here, uh, born in Seattle, Washington, of a wealthy family, Pamela Lillian Isley, Prince Lee, her full correct name, despite some confusion in print. <laughs> <laughs> it's Len Wein flipping the bird to somebody. Like, I, think I, 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 I think that's somebody going, Haney. Yeah, we both went for that. Uh, the only other things I would mention is her costume, the way Steve Rude drew it. And this might explain the drawing. It looks like it's composed of hemp leaves. Um, so maybe that explains the drawing. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Poison Ivy makes a fortune in Colorado and Washington. That's all we know. Right. And then uh, the last thing, the thing that surprised me I was expecting to see in here, doesn't she have like a sort of chemical hypnotic kiss? Yes. Isn't that kind of her shtick? I assume no, that's ma- what she's trying to do when she's getting close into Batman, right. but it doesn't look like she's kissing him there. Cause yeah. She's her, yeah. But there's no mention of it here whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Thought that was interesting. Now, just talk about her raw sexuality, and men can't resist her, but it doesn't talk about how she can take possession of them with a kiss. Hmm. Maybe that came after this. I don't know. I, I, I've always kind of known it as a thing. Yeah. So, next up, let me tell you, folks, this next one is a in the win column, big time. Polar Boy by Steve Lytle. This is an awesome, awesome piece of work. I absolutely love it. The page composition is one of the better who's who ones I've seen. The entire thing is framed around the edges with like you're in an ice cavern. In fact, you can kind of see a gun sticking out from the wall like he, uh, Polar Boy has frozen somebody. You've got the Polar Boy image in the front with him in his costume. You've got in the background, you've got his Legion symbol. You've got a close-up of his face. Then you've got him in... Uh, a split screenshot of his different costumes. And on the left-hand side, you see him with some sort of the, some of the classic Legionnaires like Starboy and Night, looks like Night Girl. Night Girl, maybe. yeah, that's Night Girl. Yep. And on the right-hand side, that, and that's when he was with the subs, I suppose. On the right-hand side, you see him when he's with the Legion. You've got Block and you've got Timberwolf. Uh, it really, really nicely done. Well done by Steve Lytle. Um, and, and, and I like the logo, too. Now, you can disagree with me here if you want. Uh, yeah, no. This is a this is an instance of a kind of a zero character great art. Yeah, fair enough. Well, he's not a zero character. I wouldn't say that. I mean, All he's, right, he's pretty he's an close. interesting character. <laughs> it's because it's a Legion character. You don't like him, but it's interesting that he went from the subs to being you know an important character on the team. Yeah, that's not true because I was very complimentary about Phantom Girl. Go back and listen to the tapes. Come on, man. <laughs> um, and uh, you know another couple things that are done really well. The, the really good usage. Of solid color, solid black, but in the serpent, I mean, it's really blue, but in the serpent, really nice use of solid color. I love his, now this isn't necessarily Steve Lytle, um, maybe it was, I don't know, he drew Legion for a while. The helmet, I love the helmet that Polar Boy wears. It's a really tight 
cowl, a headpiece, almost like what Phobia wears, but it's shiny silver and it's sort of representative of ice, you know? It's a really cool look. I dig that. And uh, let's see what else I want to mention. His name, Breck Bannon, like ultimate action hero name. So cool. <laughs> now, here's one thing I'm wondering, and maybe we should ask Steve Lytle or maybe someone named Russell Burbage should ask him. Um, his boots, you notice the top part of the boots. I don't know what you call that. But are they clear? Like you can see there's the icicle part across the oh, top. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, they, they kind of look like that. You're right. Like you're seeing his leg through it, yeah. Yeah, maybe they're clear like ice cubes. Maybe that's a, a design element. I don't know. I don't know. I, I haven't – in my rereading of the Legion, I haven't – or my, I guess, first reading of Bronze Age of Legion, I haven't got to that point where he's part of the team yet. So I don't and know. And the effect is not replicated in the gloves. Correct. So maybe, maybe it's just a trick of the light. I don't know. Either way, love this one. Absolutely great image. Yay, Legion. By the way, in case you didn't guess, his powers are cold. You should know that. All right. Next up, probably the most anticipated entry of the book – uh, it is Power Girl by Joe Staten. Once again, I was a little hesitant when I saw that it was written drawn by Joe Staten. I was like, uh-oh. Uh, it could go either way. And I would say this is in the win column. I like this. This is nice. Now, Joe Staten drew her in All-Star Comics, so he's got a lot of history drawing her. This is definitely the mid-'80s Power Girl because, you know, the boob window is gone. She's back to the you know more traditional uh, low-cut uh, costume. And uh, and she she's got sort of that you know I don't know it's not it's not fair faucet hair but it's um I don't know who's, who's that ice skater uh Dorothy Hamill is that no that's not Dorothy Hamill either is it yeah I don't know my I don't know my late seventies haircut girls someone okay. will figure it out for me you should come up with it you're girly so anyway uh, he does a really nice job I mean really some of the standout attributes here I mean her eyes really stand pop off the page other attributes pop off the page. You know, sorry, her, her boobs and her hips, which is very in in model, though, with her early appearances in All-Star Comics. I mean, she was a very vivacious, hippie, busty woman. And so he's recaptured that here, and he's done a really nice job with it. And, you know, it talks in here about how when she first came out, and some people may not know this, when she first showed up in All-Star Comics, she was on Earth 2. She was equivalent to a Supergirl. But basically her role was Superman was going to retire, and she was going to take over for him. I mean, this is a big deal. Superman was quitting, and she was going to be, like, the premier Metropolis superhero. And so they talk about that in here, which is nice to see, because that's kind of been forgotten. And then they talk about here at the end about Crisis, you know, um, with the recent merging of Infinite Earths, it's unclear what her future plans will be. Well, to be quite honest, it's going to stay that way for 20 years. Uh, they don't really get that straightened out until about 2005, which is to bring it all the way back to this original origin. So kind of interesting. All right, State and Fan, what do you think of this? Uh, I don't have it in me to say anything more negative about Joe State in this issue, so we're just going to move on. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, I will say that I'm sure a lot of people were hoping for more of a uh, Steve Rude or oh, Dave a Stevens. Dave Stevens Power Girls. <laughs> probably exactly what they were hoping for. Yeah. So sorry you didn't get that. But I think it's nice. I like it. So, All right, next up. Uh, Pow Wow Smith. I love this logo. That logo okay. kills me. The, sure, the logo is extraordinarily simplistic. It's awesome. But it, it's got a lot of it's got a lot of design elements. Oh, you, know, you know, we'll put this one in the tumbler. It's got a lot of design elements to it, but at the same time, it looks almost childlike. I mean, it's I don't know. Really? 
know. Well, I don't know. How, I, it's you're the you're right. the designer. You're you're the artist. You tell me how would you describe I mean, it? It's like an Art Deco type logo. I think it's it's I gorgeous. It's dynamic. It's very. I love it. I, it's the the listing by Infantino is boring as heck because he's just standing there. <laughs> But man, that logo, if I gave Powell Smith his own comic, I'd be like, this is the logo we're using on the cover. That's it. I, I don't like, think you could. It's. What? It is Art Deco, but. It, why can't you lose the logo? I, oh. We'll let people look at our Tumblr. What's that Tumblr address again? Fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. Yeah, go check it out, folks. Um, oh, did I say it's Dick Giordano as well? Carmen Infantino, Dick Giordano? No, you I hope did so. not. Okay, so you've got Powell on the front, and, of course, as Infantino, he's standing there straight looking at the camera with his arms on his hips. You know, Infantino should have drew for Marvel Universe. Um, I guess. You've got a close-up of his face in the background. You've got some uh, the, some of the Indian village people with their teepees. You've got him hiding behind some rocks and being shot at by what I assume are some hooligans, and he's shooting back at them. And uh, the the logo, by the way, we didn't read the whole thing. It says, Powell Smith, Indian lawman. Right. It's just... Oh. It feels so. This whole thing feels so racist. I'm sorry. It's not, it's not racist. That word "Indian" is not racist. No, powwow is. Well, powwow Smith. His right. name is. He has an Indian name of like Oil Gisa, which is the winner. And everyone just yeah. Want, all right, that's want to true. call the red man okay. powwow. Yeah. All right, that's true. Okay. Well, but it's of its time though, so I'm not yeah. saying that someone was out of line when they did it. I mean, it's, <laughs> but it's just it's just funny. I don't know. So. He actually, his first appearance was in Detective Comics. That's one of those where you and I have talked before. It's kind of like, eh, it just doesn't have to be about a detective. Just stick something in it. Yeah, we, we got a couple history. pages here to fill, so, yeah. Right. So, and, uh, and by the way, Infantino did draw him in a lot of those Detective Comics in some Western comics. See, now so I kind of want to read those, because Infantino in the 50s was killer. Absolutely. Yeah, killer. probably so, pretty dynamic and pretty so, exciting. So, yeah, I bet the, you know, I don't know who wrote them, but man, there's a potential there for them to be really good because he, Infantino, was full of wind back then. You know, they've done some, like, um, war comic showcases. Have they done yes, any Western they have. Com- I don't know. I know they've done Jonah Hex, but I don't know if they've done any of the well, others. Well, Jonah Hex was actually much later, though, wasn't it? Wasn't he like a 70s and 80s character? Yeah, but it's Western. True. True. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Next up. Uh, a little glimpse to the future, almost. Uh, the prankster done by Wayne Boring and John Byrne. Very nice. What a nice, clever way to do a Superman character. You know, you, you have the old and you have the new together, working together. And it came out to be a very nice piece. He's, he looks crazy. The if you've f- never seen the original The physics prankster. of this guy. Is, is, <laughs> he's essentially a sphere, you know, he's a, in, a, in a green check suit. With, with little spats on his little tiny legs with spats. And he's got a squirting flower. And he's got like a crazy Alfred E. Newman kind of face with a twirling evil mustache and three teeth. And his, his little straw hat and his little pop gun. It is hilarious. It is an absolute hoot. The art is great. I love it. But they, you can honestly, it looks more like a Wayne Boring piece than a John Byrne piece to me. And, and that, that's fine. It just it came out really nicely. It's, you got a close-up of his three teeth in the background and his pointy nose. You've got him taking out a bunch of people with his springing bow tie. He's got a, a wrecking ball hitting Superman, and he's got uh, some – oh, the remote control for the wrecking ball. Oh, I guess the wrecking ball is breaking on Superman, so he's not technically right. taking out Superman. Right. But it's a, it's a funny, funny piece. Yeah, it's, I, I love it. I love Superman's look of confidence, the, the ball's fang hitting him on the head, and he just could not care less about it. 
yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a, I think it's a great drawing. And the entry really goes out of its way to try and make sure you know that he's funny but deadly. And it does convey that pretty well. There's some weird stuff in here that I feel like I'm missing an in-joke. He basically says that he was a silent partner uh, in a criminal organization. And when they had amassed, and he gives an exact amount here, $200,851.25, then he decided it was time to go for the big money. <laughs> what? How utterly bizarre to include that. There's got to be something I'm missing there. Anyway, and... um. He, you know, he talks about how he goes on to uh, teams up with a toy man a couple times. Of course. He, Joker is actually an enemy of his, which is pretty cool because he double-crossed him. He's got some great nicknames. The Mirthful, Mirthful Marauder, the Comedy King. And one of his my absolute favorite schemes he tried to pull off, he tried to copyright the alphabet. That's <laughs> <laughs> like what Marvel tried to do in the 80s with the letter X. <laughs> oh, I love it. Absolutely love it. Okay. Next up is The Predator by Dave Gibbons. This is a Green Lantern character. Don't be mistaking it for any Schwarzenegger-related nonsense. Um, Green Lantern villain who – remember how we've talked about before how Alfred Pennyworth from Batman, his, his only entry – you know, he didn't get an entry of his own, but he was in the book as uh, in Who's Who is the Outsider. Right. And Jimmy Olsen from Superman didn't make it in as Jimmy Olsen. He had to be Elastic Lad. Right. Well, the Predator is sort of the same thing. It's right. a Green Lantern character who didn't quite make it in uh, on their own entry. So, yeah, Predator is actually – this guy, Predator, is actually Carol Ferris, Hal's girlfriend. Yeah, let that process for a minute. Hal's girlfriend is in here as a dude. Uh, this character – the list of issues I have with this character is, is – we don't have enough time today. I will say that he has been graced by some good artists that he is oh, nowhere yeah. near deserves. Right. <laughs> uh, it's ridiculous. Um, he is one over-accessorized bad guy. Oh, yeah, he is. Oh, yeah. He, the just, or, by the way, he's got this black costume, and he's got all kind of silver accessories. He's got a badass sort of, like, silver, you know, tough guy helmet with little red slit eyes, and he's got finger claws, and he's, he's got a, a lasso of some sort, and an axe, and a knife, and he's got foot boots. I mean, he looks like a life field character. Honestly, done well. Put talents, uh, not just boot and boots, but talents. So yes, he's thank like, you. He's, yes. Like, he's like Wolverine and X twenty three combined. <laughs> and it looks, this bl- the black and silver with the red eyes is very striking. You know, the only flesh showing is you know around his, his, his eye, around his you know nose and mouth. In the background, he's got him doing some acrobatics. You've got him fighting Green Lantern. You've got him uh, fighting somebody. I don't know. And, and saving Carol Ferris, which is just weird. The whole gist of this is, you know, Carol Ferris is a star sapphire. Well, apparently Hal left Earth at one point, and she was conflicted, and so she split into two beings. <laughs> Carol representing the feminine side, and Predator representing her masculine side. When did, when did Bob Haney write Green Lantern? Then the Predator fought some bad guys to protect Ferris at air, aircraft, then attacked good guys. Then had a, I guess, was courting her like he was loved her. I guess. Oh my god! Um, and I say this because I've actually read some of this stuff, and it's I I hated it. I absolutely like. He showed up in some of the Green Lantern issues I had. He showed up in Extreme Justice. I just this character it makes me cringe. There's there's nothing good about this character other than looking at his picture. Um, now it's possible his original stories were interesting. I mean, he, he formed a corporation. I mean, that's how long this dude was around for. Um, 
but the later appearances just made me cringe. I want to say at one point Carol gave birth to the Predator as, as well, and then it became an entity in the the. I need to just stop talking. Yeah. Okay, that's Predator. Um, you know, I'm putting this on the Tumblr. It's so whacked. It's going up there. Making a note of that. Okay, next up, Primus from the Omega Men. Um, the art is by Sean McManus, and I will say, you mentioned it earlier on a previous episode when we were talking about the Omega Men. You said you never really took to his later look that looked like no. Sting. Yeah, this when, is, yeah, this is, this is like when your dad tries to be hip. It just well, doesn't work. <laughs> he does look kind of old and withered. Uh, when you said that, and now I'm looking at, he looks exactly like Sting. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, Sean McManus clearly had to be drawing Sting. There's no doubt about it. So this is an Omega Men character, so you know I don't have a lot of interest. Um, he is the leader of the team. He was a farmer, and he developed mental powers and became an outcast, and he fell in love with this really hot chick named Callista. And then the rest of the entry gets really boring and reads like a Marvel Universe entry because it's like, and then this happened. Yeah, nobody, and then this happened. Nobody and, is reading all this about Primus. Nobody. Well, right. It's just – it's literally a this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And I can't stand those kind of entries. I'd rather just get a sense of the character. Yeah. Like I don't even get a sense of what kind of guy he was other than he helped people. And then he sounds like he almost turns bad because he's fighting the Omega Men later and Tigor almost kills him. So – Either way, I don't care that much. Either. Yeah, no, when, 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 when they did this, I, I started losing my focus on Omega Man when, when Primus went this. Because it just, it just felt sad to have, like, the normal straight-laced hero turn edgy. And it, I, I just, you know, it felt like uh, when Brian Adams went goth. It was just kind of sad, you know? You're just like, <laughs> no. So let's just... I, I love his sneakers. <laughs> let's, just, let's just move on, really. All right. <laughs> Next up, this one's going to take some explaining. This one's complicated as hell. Did you read this entry by chance? Uh, no. Okay. It's Prince Ramon, Mind Master. Okay. He was basically DC's answer to Doctor Strange. Right. In House of Secrets. But it doesn't... If I could stop there, it would all make sense. But it doesn't stop there. Because before that, there was a character named Mark Merlin. Mark Merlin, I'm pretty sure his brother and his dad are on on the TV CW show Arrow. But anyway, yeah, I just made an arrow reference. Look at that. And um, anyway, so Mark Merlin was a, a regular guy for the most part who went around solving sort of supernatural-related uh, adventures. You know, he could sort of possess a, a cat. But beyond that, he was pretty much a regular guy. And a lot of what he was doing was going around and sort of debunking people that were claiming to be mystical or magical and proving that they weren't. Now he did run into real ones every once in a while. But, you know, either way. Um, Mark, he was following the footsteps of his, of his uncle – who was killed by this group called the Council of Three, and they killed his uncle for exposing fake magicians. Now, I'm pretty sure these are the same guys that were going after Joe Bluth in Arrested Development. But anyway. Wow. So Mark... pop-culturing all over here. I really am. So Mark was the lead character from... In this... Not lead. He he had had an ongoing feature, I should say, in House of Secrets from 1959 to 1965. Then the powers that be decided that his, his feature wasn't cutting it anymore. Right. So they decided to end Mark's feature, and that's when they decided to introduce Prince Raman as a Doctor Strange sort of analog. If they had just done that, it would have been fine, but instead they decided to tie the two together. Mark got trapped in this other – Mark Merlin went to this other dimension, and he couldn't <laughs> come back to Earth. But he had to get the – he did if he'd given this magical spirit. He couldn't come back in his own body, so he went into a different body. So it's, it's Mark Merlin in the body of this other guy combined with magic, and it's really confusing and a lot more confusing than it needed to be. So you've got Prince Raman, who 
is the Prince of Noodles. Yes. And very affordable. He's, interesting enough, he's from Cloister, Vermont, which is where I think Russell Burbage is from, by the way. So and he fought Eclipso, which is kind of cool, I suppose. Uh, and it, it's just really kind of weird. And the sad part is once he introduced Prince Raman, he only lasted like less than a year. So, or at least eight issues, I should say. Maybe it was a little more than a year, but it's eight issues, depending on, I don't know what the cycle of House of Secrets was. And um, so you get the, the, the artist, by the way, I didn't even mention the artist, Alex Saviak and Joe... Giala. G- thank you, Giala. And um, now they drew him in the DC Comics Presents. DC Comics Presents had a backup feature called Whatever Happened To, and they did one on this character, and that's why they got tapped for this one. Now, speaking of the art, he does a really nice drawing. The forefront picture is great. I love the way this guy looks. It's a green ensemble of pants and shirts, slightly different colors, an orange cape. He's got a great, you know, Van Dyke, you know, what do you call it, goatee and Van Dyke, and then he's got, you know, black hair with a white streak. He looks in a very action-y pose, like he's ready to kick some ass. Looks very much like a Doctor Strange kind of guy. He's got even got a medallion. In the background, you get a nice close-up of Mark Merlin. You see uh, Prince Raman zapping a, a, a really common crook dropping <laughs> dropping a pearl necklace and some money. He's zapping Eclipso, and then you've got Mark finding this uh, totem. So it's, it's, it's a nicely drawn picture. I really like it. But the entry, it just, it really makes my head hurt. I, uh, yeah, well, yeah, I was again, I was waiting for you to finish. Um, right. Yeah, well, first of all, he looks, I mean, if you were like a master of the mystic arts, you had to have this look, because <laughs> he looks like, he looks like Mandrake, uh, Doctor Strange looked like Mandrake. Prince Raman looks like Mandrake. Anton LaVey looked like Mandrake. So they all had the same kind of look. Um, as you mentioned, it's by um, Alex Savick and Joe Gogella. Go, Joe Gella. Um, I've mentioned before that I think that Alex Savick is one of these guys who suffered mightily from bad anchors. Because I think, and I think that's what happens here. Is I think if you look, really, I think yeah, I think if you look at the the, the drawing underneath the inking. This is great. I love the pose, as you said. I love it. it's very dynamic, and I like the close-up of him uh, when he's uh, sands uh, the goatee, and I like all the drawings. But to me, Joe Giella is like uh, like Vince Coletta without an electric eraser, and wow. uh, he just to me he just renders every drawing that he was ever handed into like making it look like a coloring book. So if somebody oh. had better had. I hate to say that, but if somebody, a better anchor, had handled this drawing of Alex Avix, I think it would have been killer. But to me here, it's 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 dull. I think it's dull. Mm. The pose is great. I love the pose. But I think the background stuff is very dull, and I really have to think that lay that mostly at the, the feet of uh, Mr. Gala. No, no, you know. Don't. The guy had a long career. I don't mean to be nasty about it, but every time I saw Joe Gala was the anchor, I was like, ugh, okay. So, Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I see. I didn't pick up any of that, but I can kind of see what you mean. Like the art probably could have you know gone up a notch, possibly. Yeah. The inking. All the right. inking, not, not the, well. Yes, yeah, I'm sorry. No, the inking sure could have brought the art up. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, speaking of crazy characters, <laughs> next up, the privateer. Uh, this is Mark Shaw. If you're familiar with Mark Shaw, if you're not, shame on you. But if you are, then you know he's not just a privateer. He's also the star czar. He's also a manhunter. <laughs> God, a lot of changing of identities in you know, this issue here. So I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. I mean, he started off as a Manhunter, unbeknownst that he was being guided by the actual Manhunters tied to the Green Lantern mythos. He didn't realize that at the time. Then he becomes the Star Czar, and then he 
becomes the private tier to trick everyone, and then goes back to being the stars are, and that's where this entry stops because he's in prison. And then later on in post crisis, just a few years after this, he becomes becomes Manhunter, and actually uses his Manhunter identity for good. And he has actually a, like a 24 issue series by John Ostringer and Kim Yale, and I am totally blanking on the artist. Is not is it Tom Lyle? No. Um, Damn, Michael Bailey's yelling at his Zoom right now. He knows the answer to this, and I can't come up with it. Anyway, I uh, love that series. Absolutely love that series. So this entry is kind of hard for me to read because to me, he is – you know I know him best from that 24-issue series. But unfortunately, he has a much longer history of, as being a villain and being a total nut job. And this carries through into the 2000 series, the Manhunter series with Kate Spencer, which is exceptional, by the way. You should read it. And he does some more – things in there that you should read without spoiling <laughs> anything. Uh, um, so it, it, it hurts my heart. Anyway, I should probably talk about the picture. Uh, the art is by Stan Woke, I guess, and Bob Smith. It, the privateer is very much like he, uh, like he sounds. He's a swashbuckling character. He's got his little pirate outfit on. He's holding a foil. He's got an eye patch and a, a cool little mustache. He's got a big cape and giant thigh-high boots, and, you know, brown pants, red pirate shirt, and he looks like he's absolutely ready to kick some pirate ass. Kind of funny because he doesn't actually need the pie patch, as you can see perfectly well out of both eyes. Anyway, in the background, you've got this shot of him as the star Zar kicking Superman in the face, holding <laughs> Wonder Woman by the throat, and Green Lantern zooming in to help. You got him as the privateer uh, ki- flying in and kicking the Flash in the back. No, 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 no. That's a separate picture. Oh, Flash is that's being right, punched pri- by private- him as Manhunter. He's being punched by Manhunter. Okay. Yeah. Now, originally, Manhunter was a hero, right? The Him is the Manhunter? The 40s ones. Well, right, but Mark Shaw, though, right? Yeah, yeah, I, yes. You know, Mark Shaw started off as a Manhunter, he was a hero, but they sort of led him down the wrong path because it was you know, being guided by the Guardians of the Universe type folks. The, uh, bad guys, it is. Then, when he became the Star Czar, he was straight up a bad guy, and then he became the privateer to sort of throw him off the scent of the Star Czar. Is kind of how all that worked. Very confusing. Poor Mark. He had to be terribly conflicted. Oh, there's also a really nice close-up of his face in the background. Yeah, it's a nice drawing. I just realized something. I don't know if it's a... There, his, his serpent is almost like accidentally two colors. Like there's red highlights on Wonder Woman. There's red hi- highlights on his sword and belt. There's red, red highlights on the Flash's ears. That's weird. I'm not seeing any of that. It looks just no. purple to me. Well, you're you're, uh, you're looking at a digital version, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I that, I'm, I'm I get the real deal here in front of me. So, all right. Next up, Professor Amos Fortune, uh, drawn by Luke McDonald, who was drawing Justice League at the time, and so he's sort of the ideal person to do this. Inked by Bill Ray, and I would say that you know it, it, basically he's a large man, and he's wearing I don't know. It's not 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 a a robe. He's wearing a white robe with a white sash and white pants and white shoes, or black shoes with white spats, and uh, um, he, he's got sort of an evil look, he's got greasy black hair that's kind of everywhere, and he's, he's, he's looking sort of down at you, like, evilly over his eye, over his, the bridge of his nose, and one hand raised. In the background, you've got a close-up of his face, and then you've got his wheel of, uh, I forgot what it's called, but it's, uh, anyways, it's his wheel of wheel misfortune. Just, there it is, and the Justice League people are tacked down to it from his earliest appearance. Um, the foreground image, I think, is okay. I think the inking saves it, probably. Uh, the background image, close-up of his face, not so much. 
Oh, I love the face, really? I love that background face. Really? Yeah. I love the shadows and the the, the zip-a-tone effect on the one side for to give a nice bit of lighting. I I really like that. I'm glad somebody does. Um, Now, this is another one of the situations where someone is aptly named from birth. (laughs) Right, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Professor Amos Fortune is all about luck and bad luck. In fact, he builds a device called the Stimo Luck. (laughs) All the way back to Justice League number six. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, I love how it talks about in here. He's using the stimo luck on the Justice League, and you know he's got the he's got this is the original Justice League folks. And so he's got them at his mercy, but he overlooked one thing: John Jones, the Martian Manhunter, being a Martian, has no luck glands. So therefore, he was able to thwart fortune. Which reading, and I haven't read the issue in a long time, but reading that into itself, Martian Manhunter had no luck glands. Sort of explains his, his fortune in publications over the years. So just saying. Uh, now, this guy, he just built invention after invention after invention. It's kind of interesting. He was the founder of the Royal Flush Gang. You know, that's a big deal. Yep. And then the entries just straight up call him a fat man, <laughs> which kind of took me aback. I'm like, wow, they usually just say, you know, a larger proportion or something like that. But no, they just called him fat. <laughs> now, you have a long tenure with the old Justice League. I don't have much of an opinion on this character. What about you? Uh, no, I like him just fine. I mean, he was one of, you know, kind of like uh, we've talked about with Jerry Conway in the first dozen or so issues of Firestorm. The first 12 issues of JLA, Gardner Fox was just creating concepts left and right that lasted forever. Uh, every new villain, every new issue had a villain that, that is still used today. Kanjar Rowe, Despero, Felix Faust, Amos Fortune. I mean, it was just rattling them off. Dr. Destiny, one after the other. So uh, no, I like this character just fine. I, he his wheel of misfortune was always a uh, a lot of fun, goofy concept. But uh, yeah, he's always you know used every so often. Come back to bedevil the Justice League. It was cool. I like this drawing. I like the idea of using the current artist to draw a character that had really not been in the book for a long time. So it gives it a kind of a nice connection to the old JLA. It's good. I was mm-hmm. happy with it. All right. Next up, Professor Hugo Strange by Dennis Cowan and and Art Nichols did a little research. As far as I can tell, this is the only time uh, Dennis Cowan drew the character. I could be mistaken, but that's what my research came up. Uh, it's him in the foreground wearing a tuxedo and holding a cane and sort of like smiling maniacally. Looks like and he's about ba- to start singing "Putting on the Ritz." It it does. In the background, there's sort of a almost weird impressionistic drawing of him. I love that. I that's love pretty cool. Love that drawing back there. There's a background. Also, there's like these roided up guys beating on Batman, and in the background you've got Batman, uh, finally you've got Batman fighting Professor Hugo Strange in the Batman costume. You can tell because he's got the Batman costume, and from underneath the cowl sticking out his enormous, crazy Amish beard. So, um, but he's an interesting character looking. He's bald, and he's got, like I said, a giant Amish beard and these little tiny spectacles. So, sort of an interesting looking character. I don't know much about this guy. I don't know that I've ever read a comic with him. Um, it's one of those weird situations where my stepson actually knows more about this character than I do from playing the Arkham Asylum video game. <laughs> he started asking me questions. I'm like, I don't know. Oh, let me turn the tables. You tell me what you know about him. From reading the entry, what I know is he's obsessed with the ba- with Batman's secret identity. And at one point, he did actually don the Batman costume. And uh, it's um, I know he's well respected. I mean, I don't I don't know much about the guy. Well, first of all, I mean, he is in. Oldie villain. His first appearance oh, is yeah. Detective Comics number 36, which means Crazy. he predates Robin. Yeah. That's how old this character is. Uh, he well, he played a large part in the Steve Englehart, Marshall Rogers, Terry Austin run. 
in Detective Comics on Batman, and he was used incredibly effectively there. Uh, that is where I know him mostly from, were those classic issues, where um, it was thought that he was dead, and but he was still some, somehow finding a way to commit murders. Hmm. Uh, it, those are great, great... I'm not telling anybody anything in, 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 anybody doesn't <laughs> already know. Those are great stories, but he's used very effectively in those issues. And he, it's fair to say he's one of the villains that actually knows Batman's true identity. Yes. So, there you go. All right. Next up, Professor Ivo, uh, the creator of Amazo. So, uh, I, Ivo's motif was basically he always wanted to achieve immortality. And so he would do all these kinds of uh, experiments to gain immortality, but they all went horribly wrong to the point where here his whole skin is mottled and almost almost lizard-like. Yeah. And just crazy weird features mixed with flesh and lizard skin, and it's just gross, gross as hell. And he's sort of hunched over wearing a purple robe. Uh, art by Irv Novik and Roden Rodriguez. In the Serpent, you've got a close-up of his face before he had turned all icky. You've got him commanding a Mazo to battle Superman. Then you've got him with a bunch of Justice Leaguers in jars. Uh, you've got Green Lantern, Flash, Wonder Woman, Martian Manhunter, and somebody. Somebody, yeah. It's, I guess maybe, it's really supposed to be Aquaman. I think it's, I think it's it, well, it would have to be. Because that is from the cover of Brave and Bold number 30. And there was no other member for it to be. But you really can't tell. And apparently they just didn't want to draw Aquaman. Yeah. Uh, and he's standing there with Amazo. So um, I like the art. I think this is a very nice piece. Uh, I don't know whether it's more Irv or Roden Rodriguez, which, which brings it home, but I, I think it's a really nice art piece. Now, a couple interesting things in his entry. <laughs> he talks about at one point he reforms. I love this. Um, it, talking about he, he had gained Superman, a connection with Superman at one point. He said it may have had a greater effect on him, for after that, Ivo reformed. He did not go back to prison, but did grow a mustache. <laughs> Take a new name. As if, like, growing the mustache was a really critical piece of his origin. Which you get the years shaved off your sentence if you grow a mustache. Apparently so. And I didn't realize this. It talks about here, because, you know, his goal, again, is always to, he wants to live forever. He's not immortal, but he is very long-lived. It talks about here, he makes it up to the 30th century and faces off of the Legion. So I thought that was really cool. That's a, a nice little twist. And uh, short, not too long after this, he is responsible for the death of Vibe. Yes, yeah, he goes crazy. He goes cocoa, c- crazy for cocoa puffs later on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right, all right. Next up, Professor Milo or Prof. I'm sorry, Prof Milo. Art by Mike Zeck and John Beatty. And I'll tell you, without looking at the names, I was convinced this was a Jim Aparo drawing at first, based on just sort of the white costume and the the art style and the haircut. I, I thought it was a. a George, I'm sorry, Jim Aparo drawing, and then I thought, well, maybe it's Jim Aparo with a Mandrake face, Tom Mandrake face, but it it doesn't look like a Mike Zeck drawing to me. No, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. think so. to me. I don't think it does. I, I well, this was when these guys were teamed over at Marvel doing Punisher, right? So this was sort of DC being a little cheeky and bringing them over together to do this obscure character. I love the uh, all the detail disappears down his legs. Just it's yeah. just sort of an abstracty thing, but it's really nice. Oh, I didn't notice that. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, look, this is a, kind of a zero, another zero character, really drawn beautifully by Zach and Beatty. <laughs> He's got a nice kind of creepy old style logo. Now he, he at this point he he started off in 1957 is when he first appeared. And he only had really at least according to the research I did four appearances up to this point. His shtick is he uses drugs and gas to try and get what he wants to happen. I mean, he, he's fascinated with chemistry, uses a lot of it, wants to um, 
you know, take down the Batman. You know, one, and in fact, it resulted in Batman taking on an identity of Starman at one point. So I wonder if that's the Starman of 1957 that uh, James Robinson always referenced. I'm not really sure. But either way, uh, interesting stuff. Um, <laughs> there's a bit where he used a, some chemical on a guy whose name was Anthony Lupus. And, of course, it turned that guy into a werewolf. Um, I know. Shocker. <laughs> anyway, uh, we, should, we should probably move on. A bit of a zero, but, you know. No, Great nice draw. Great draw. Yep. Next up, this is a twofer. It's, it's an interesting twofer. It's two characters on one page. It's Prody 1 and Prody 2 from Legion of Superheroes. Now, I, I've never read any adventures with Prody, so this was kind of fascinating to read. There are these little amorphous blobs that are able to change their shape into anything. Literally anything. And Prody 1, I guess, was sort of like a bit of a lump and didn't do much. And he, he even got labeled as a super pet. Or got labeled as a pet of Brainiac 5. I'm sorry, Chameleon Boy. I'm sorry. Uh, got labeled as a pet of Chameleon Boy who would hang out with him. I guess this is during the era when everyone had you know, super pets. And uh, he actually sacrificed his life to save Saturn Girl. And that's a big deal. He gave up his life to save her. Really cool, and then they went out and hired a replacement, you know, because it's like a sitcom, they got to have a replacement <laughs> when someone dies. And they got Prody 2. Now, Prody 2 is a whole different shebang. Now, he did join the Legion of Super Pets, but eventually led a revolution on his planet to insist that Prodies were no longer considered pets, they were considered sentient beings. And uh, it's, it's kind of funny how all that happened. And he is he's literally a revolutionary. And he went back and has become a political leader of his planet. And the drawings, you can see this in the drawings. <laughs> the yes the first Prody, of Prodies. <laughs> the first Prody is all kind of like hunched over and, you know, squished up a bit. And, and you see him on Chameleon Boy's shoulder in the background of Serpent. And you see him transforming into a Saturn girl. And the last one is Prody all like proud. He's got his hand on his hip, but he's got an arm like, dun da da look at all my friends. And you see all the Prodies in the background as, as he's clearly a political leader. It's a really well done piece. I don't think I mentioned it by Keith Giffen and Joe Rubenstein. Really well done. Reminds me of uh, Harry Potter and the Spew movement that uh, Hermione was trying to get going. Yeah, no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Harry Potter's book, you should look it up uh, Next up Psy, which is P-S-I This is the character from The Daring New Adventures of Supergirl It's by Carmen Infantino and Baba Ox- Oxner So you know the pose is going to be pretty boring And quite honestly, the art is pretty bad um, Not, not going to lie it, it is not a good drawing The anatomy doesn't look right The costumes Looks like someone erased all the lines And it's barely there uh, there's a nice background shot of her zapping Supergirl, which is kind of nice. But other than that, the art is very uninspiring. Now, I did take the time to really read this entry. I don't know why. I guess I just had time on my hands. Um, when she was a child, she got these mental powers at age 12, and then her parents died. She was, she was being studied by the scientists, and her parents died. So the scientist adopted her, a guy named Pendergrass. Pendergrass. And he... he was sort of nuts, and he thought like the world was being taken over by something called the Decay. So he trained her to fight the Decay. And when she became an adult, she ended up fighting Supergirl and realized she was mistaken and stopped and didn't want to do that anymore. Well, Pendergrass lost his crap and decided that, therefore, she had to be killed. So he's trying to kill this woman he has raised as his daughter since age 12. And he ends up through this metamorphosizing and becoming the thing he was trying to fight all this time. He becomes the decay. So and where I'm going with this is that it's a really tragic story, and I was really moved by reading the history. But then I look at the art, and I have no interest in reading this whatsoever. But it sounds like it's a really good story. 
So Ange is probably like yelling uh, right now, going, "No, it's great!" Because it sounds like it was a wonderful story. That Very tragic. Written by Paul Coverberg. Oh, okay. Good job, Paul. Well done. All right, moving on. Next one up is Simon with a P by Chuck Patton and Larry Malstead. Again, the, uh, Chuck was drawing the tales of the Teen Titans, so he's an ideal choice for this. Um, this is a great villain. I know him primarily from Crisis in Infinite Earths. Yeah, one of the great deaths of, of any bad guy or good guy in comics. Yeah, he, he kills Brainiac. Think, he thinks he kills Brainiac, and then Brainiac shows back up and just blows his glass dome off. I mean, he's just <laughs> sick. The most ignominious, uh, yeah, splotchy yeah. deaths, yeah. If you don't know Simon, he's got this really long, gaunt face. The top of his head has actually got sort of almost like a fishbowl effect on it. It's not quite a fishbowl. It's not a perfect circle. It's more like a, uh oval-type shape. Anyway, his brain is exposed underneath there. And then he's got a ponytail behind that, and he's just wearing a long, flowing robe. He's got incredibly powerful mental powers, one of the most powerful mental people on the planet. Turns out his powers were actually tied to the origin of Trigon, or his origin was tied to Trigon, you know, Raven's dad. And so uh, that's part of what made him so powerful. And he was kind of a scary dude. I remember he, like, would creep me out. So you've got that shot of him in the foreground. In the background, you've got a close-up of his face with his creepy brain showing. You see him getting his powers, which basically just came from a random beam of light during an experiment. I mean, when you read that part, I was like, what? How generic is that? And then you find out again it was tied to Trigon. You see him in his scientist days, and then you see him flinging Nightwing away joyfully uh, with his mental powers. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty decent drawing. I like it. Yeah. Guy creeps me out. All right, next up is the Scions from um, uh, Omega Men. I was prepared to really not be interested in this at first. But then I started reading the entry, and it's really fascinating. First of all, the art's by Sean McManus. You've got three of this, the Scions are these lizard-descended uh, or lizard-evolved scientists. They've got their fingers in every pie in the vegan galaxy, and they're constantly interfering with things. So you see them in the foreground, a couple of the scientists. You see in the background, you see a close-up of the face. You see them doing an experiment. You see some heads of the guardians of the universe. And that's because, essentially, they were just these little tiny lizards that got evolved by the guardians of the universe as, like, an experiment and then abandoned. So the lizards, like, found the old guardians of the universe cities developed their, you know, found their technology, studied it, and moved on to become these badasses of the vegan galaxy. Uh, and the way they ended up in the Vega galaxy was they actually went to the Guardians of the Universe and said, hey, you made us. We want to talk with you and be more involved. And the Guardians of the Galaxy were, like, disgusted. They're like, ooh, Guardians of the, I keep saying Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Universe. They're, like, disgusted by the signs. They're like, go away. And so they banished them to the Vega galaxy. It's all the Guardians' fault. What a bunch of pricks. It really, it's it, everything that went wrong in Omega Man is their fault. This listing features to me the most out of left field first appearance of any character. Without a doubt. First appearance is Witching Hour number 13. What? <laughs> I know. What? I know. Now, now I, I want to go back and find that comic because, like, that comic was not part of the DC Universe. That comic <laughs> did not feature continued characters. Other than the hosts, uh, like this is somebody having fun at everybody else's expense, which is they took that initial story and then they went back and said, oh, yeah, that was the beginning of the Scions. Yeah, I, I, I really have got to go find this comic and figure out what the hell they're talking about. I think you're dead on right. It's got to be how it went down. So, no. um, Other thing to mention is that they're, they're constantly trying to study their origins, but it's interesting. They actually deceive themselves or something about their genetic makeup, makeup that won't let them study too much about, about their origins. It's really sad. It's kind of sad. So, it's, it's the most interesting Omega Man related entry I've read. I'll tell you that much. So. That's All right. gaming with faint praise. 
Next up is Psycho Pirate by Jerry Ordway. Yes. Jerry the Extraordinary Ordway. Uh, this villain, there's actually two Psycho Pirates. It's primarily focused on the second one, but they do, they do address the first one, Charlie Halstead. And he he, uh, he fought the JSA and the Adam, uh, the original Adam, and then went to jail. And of course, he shared a cell block with somebody and passed on the name and mantle to that person because that's how that works so when you're a bad guy. Yep, and passed it on to Roger Hayden, who is a psycho pirate that was in Crisis on Infinite Earths. So that's where most people know him from. Now, there's an interesting thing here about the Medusa mask. If, if you're familiar with the character, you know he uses the mask and, and and he takes it off and he uses that to generate emotions in other people. He can he can make people feel certain things, whether it's crowds or singular people, whatever. But here, they actually mention Medusa masks, plural. So I'd be interested to see what that's about. I don't, I don't know. Didn't know there was more than one. Me neither. Uh, my favorite bit about this character is that he was, at the, by the end of Crisis on Earth, he was driven insane, locked in an asylum. And when the crisis ended, at this point in time, it's, it's the heroes who went to the dawn of time in Crisis number 10, and Psycho Pirate was the only ones who could remember the crisis. Shortly thereafter, in the post-crisis universe, all the heroes forgot about crisis. And he, he was literally the only person in the whole universe that could remember the pre-crisis universe. That's fun. Mm-hmm. I like that. It was neat. It was done, used to really good effect by Grant Morrison and Animal Man. Like you, There's this great cover where, by Brian Ballin where he's sitting on the cover, and old like 1950s comic covers are pouring out of his eyes, if I remember right. Hmm. This is really cool. So, very, very neat. And, of course, Jerry Ordway. You've got this great shot of... Okay, it... It's, it's, it's not my favorite Jerry Ordway piece. I was going to be all enthusiastic. Right. Not everything can be your favorite, because then nothing's yeah. your favorite. So there's nothing right. You're not saying it's bad, you're saying it's not your favorite. Not yeah, bad. like, something about Psycho Pride doesn't look quite right. I don't know. In the four... Now, the background image of his face in the straitjacket looks great. That's great. That's Him great facing job. off against the Flash looks great. Him with the specter on it, it's neat. Ease is great, and then I guess the other little schlub must be the right, the original Psycho Pirate, the little yeah. old guy with the with the cool mustache. Yeah. But there's no Medusa mask in the drawing. You see that? No. It's kind of weird. All right, next up, we're screaming towards the end here, folks. Uh, Pulsar Stargrave, great name, My absolute favorite entry of someone I'd never heard of. Great um, name, great name, amazing drawing. I love. Love, love this artwork by Keith Pollard and Wiley Blyberg. Um, he, he's this dramatic pose in the front where he's just like screaming, sort of like, Rah! one hand open, one hand clenched in a fist with the arms up raised. He's wearing a white sort of white pants with a white sort of tunic and a giant cape that fastens across diagonally. He's got the green skin of a Kaluan. He's got this cool headband. He's just raging. The background has got really neat uh, Kirby crackle everywhere. It's got him wrestling against Brainiac 5. You've got a close-up of his head. You see him blasting. looks like Starboy. Um, not sure who the other person is. And then I think that's Saturn Girl in a porn pose is what that is. I'm not quite sure. But Yikes. either way, well, I mean, look at the I – I'm wrong. I know. Okay. Yeah, once you see that, you can't unsee that. Um, really – what, this is honestly one of my one of my favorite drawings in the book. I love this drawing so much. Now, interesting character. I'd never heard of him, really. He is a villain of the Legion of Superheroes. He is posed as Brainiac 5's father. He is posed as the original Brainiac. This is all in the 30th century. And at one point, he said he is in the incarnate heart of a star. So, uh, just wow. Now, as far as I can tell, this is the only time Keith Pollard drew this character. But, damn, he knocks it out of the park. Yeah, it's a great drawing. He's very like, screaming at the heavens. I love the use of the logo to bracket the picture. 
Yep. Which is really nice. And the name. The name just sounds like the, the, a character from like a 70s prog rock concept album or something. You know? <laughs> the Lonely Journals of Pulsar Stargrave. You know, it's like a four album set by Yes or something like that. It's just got that feel to it. But the drawing is killer. The drawing is absolutely killer. Yeah, a great use of Kirby Crackle. I'd like to see him really fight nice. uh, Martian Manhunter. That'd be interesting. Why you got to be racist like that? Just because he's green? Yeah. Yeah, and throw in Hulk, too. Yeah. Oh, it's people like you. People like you. Yeah. All right, next up, Punch and Julie uh, teaming up here. This is, this is a fun entry. It's by Art Adams and Gary Martin. You don't get to see Art Adams enough in Who's Who. You've got Punch and Julie in the front. They're, they're characters that are based on uh, puppet characters. And Punch and Judy, she changed her name to Julie rather than Judy, but it makes for a fun combo. So he looks very much like a Har- Harlequin Jester kind of thing. She looks like kind of a sexy... She's just hot. Um, let's just put it that. And then there's a nice zipatone effect in the serpent where he is whipping Captain Adam with something. She is blasting Nightshade, and you got a close up of their faces. And I love the smile on Punch. He's got this simple line that just looks so much devious with the eye. He's eyebrow. got like a flipped up head with that mouth. <laughs> it, it looks like uh, what, what, the the South Park guys, Terrence and Philip. Yeah. And then uh, and she looks beautiful. So. I, I really dig this one. I love Gary Martin as an artist. I love Ad, Art Adams. It does feel like there's a little more open space, yeah, maybe. Like almost yeah. the Zipatone was used to fill some of the open space by accident or something. Yeah, those figures could be a little bigger. Yeah, but overall it's nice. There's a weird effect at the top. You know, they give the personal data for Punch. They yeah. give the personal effect for Chewy. And they had to like identify which columns which, but the, the text is really tiny. It's sort of strange. It just says Punch, Julie. And Julie. Right. <laughs> and I guess it's because their logo was, you know, one and the same. I don't know. But, um, you know, they only had, had two appearances before a crisis in Earth. And then there was this. So it's sort of interesting. I love how the origin, it's kind of as, as, a, as a who's who fan, and I kind of got into this. They were kidnapping people to, for blackmail and stuff. And one of the people they kidnapped was Alex Rios, the ghost, who we read about several issues ago of Who's Who, and we thought the ghost was a really cool, cool character. So I was like, oh, cool. And then uh, they actually kidnapped the ghost right under the nose of Captain Adam and Nightshade, which is kind of cool. And then they dealt with Captain Adam. Now, I am not familiar with them in the Captain Adam days. Our buddy Jay Jones, who runs a Captain Adam blog, actually did a write-up on their issue of uh, uh, Captain Adam number, what was it, 85 when they appeared? 85, yeah. Yep. But my memory of them is post-crisis, like during Suicide Squad, Julie seems like the prototype Harlequin to me. Harley Quinn. Is that a fair assessment to you? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's all that traditional kind of female nymph trickster character. So, you know, I think it's all just of a line of something from the culture. Okay, fair enough. All right. I mean, Punch, so, Punch and Judy are, you know, as you said, that's a, that's, that's a thing. Those are puppet characters. So, I mean, it's this, you know, she's just... And there's, a, and there's Amy. Yeah, right. So... That makes sense. Okay. Well, that's how I always viewed it. So, All right. Next up, The Pursuer. Now, I am going to label this under, because his real name is Devil Lance. He's called Devil Lance The Pursuer. I'm going to label this as Len Wein went, oh, shit, we forgot him in the Ds. And so they put him in as The Pursuer rather than Devil Lance. That's oh, what I think happened. Uh, that's true. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what happened. And uh, it's done by Jack Kirby and Gary, uh, Greg Thigston. Wonderful, wonderful piece. I love this. He's in the foreground, very action-oriented, coming at you with this giant bladed weapon. You've got the background. I love it when Kirby does the panels, like the crazy mm-hmm. jagged panels. He does some nice ones here of him fighting the forever people. Uh, a close-up <laughs> of his face. And the infinity, infinity Man. Now, 
for those of you who know, we, we tend to make fun of the Forever People on this series, in, in this series, primarily because they're the one Jack Kirby creation no one seems to care about, including ourselves. What I love about this, though, is he killed the Infinity Man. <laughs> That's what makes Devil Land so great. The, the Forever People would switch places like they do, you know, by our powers combined, Captain Planet, boom, wham, you know, they would combine. They would get shunted to another universe. Well, Infinity Man came to ours. They switched back and forth. Well, he, Infinity Man and him and, and, and the Pursuer killed each other. And so the Forever People were trapped in the other universe. It's awesome. I love it. Good job, man. Uh, can I give you, you? Can I give you my ultimate theory? Alternate theory as to what happened? Sure. Okay, I believe that when Dick Giordano so cruelly and unceremoniously struck Prez from this volume, they realized they had an extra page, <laughs> and they were never going to give this guy his own listing. And they were like, "Well, now we got an extra page. Who do we have that we can stick in at the end? Who's like a PUP character, or a PR, or an R character, or a Q character?" And they're like, "Oh, De- Devil Lance, the Pursuer. Sure, yeah." <laughs> Uh, we we can put Hulk under I for incredible. That would make sense, sure. So let's just do that. I love the drawing though. I think the pose is great. He's shoving his shoving his big knife thing right in your face. That's great. He's really well done. This is one of the Kirby. This is a great Kirby one. I love this. So so I think we're both in agreement. Then this was an a, an afterthought. I, I, I feel like I should ask Bob Greenberger. We're probably both wrong, but I'm going to tell myself. I'm that, sure. Yeah. It's like yeah. no. The entire Who's Who index was built around this one character. <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah, exactly. uh, you get your you get your inside back cover with your ads to other books. You get a really nice Legion of Superheroes ad. Uh, finally, Sensor Girl revealed. You get a uh, All Star Squadron with all the faces of the All Star Squadron. I'm not all about, but many of the characters from issue number 59. Great one. You get a Blue Devil cover. Hot damn! Infinity Inc. Secret Origins with Crimson Avenger. That is an awesome, awesome, awesome cover. And you get Superman and Blue Devils. You actually get two Blue Devils on this cover. You can't get any better than that. A couple things worth mentioning, and this is why I told you you were dead wrong about Phantom Stranger. It says, rumors about the Phantom Stranger are explored in Secret Origins number 10, which would only be about five months away. Uh, then you get the Phantom Zone gets mentioned, as you talked about earlier. Rumors about the Phantom Zone. Uh, I'm sorry, no. The final fate of the Phantom Zone is revealed in DC Comics Presents number 97, which would only be about a month from now. And then Power Girl, it says... Learn some new things in Secret Origins number nine. And I'm trying to remember if that was the Atlantis origin. No, that was her own miniseries when she learned about Atlantis, which yeah. turned out to be bogus, huh? Yes. <laughs> okay. Anyway, and that, folks, is Who's Who, number 18. Uh, um, you know, overall, a decent issue. I think I was more excited about it when I started reading it and a little, a little less excited about it when I finished talking about it, maybe. There was some, definitely some interesting here I loved but there weren't probably as many superstar entries as some of the other issues. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think so. I think there were a lot of great characters, and some of which didn't get, I don't think, quite brought to life as well as they should have. But I'm not going to get into that again. I already said it. Plastic Man. Fan uh, but, but see, now I feel just the opposite. So, you know, we all had things to enjoy in this issue. Some really nice art. Really nice art. Yeah. yeah. So. All right, folks, we are going to hit your feedback uh, in our little segment we'd like to call Who's Who, How's, and Why. Now, if you want to communicate with each other on the social medias about who's who, please use the hashtag PoundFWPodcast. It'll help your fellow fans of who's who find you, and you guys can discuss certain variable points and why Power Girl should have been drawn by Dave Stevens, you know, whatever you want to talk about. Uh, If you don't mind, also, our iTunes reviews are running a little dry. You guys have been absolutely phenomenal in giving us so many iTunes reviews. We've gotten, like, I, I listen to other podcasts, and I look at our number of 
our number of iTunes reviews versus other people, and I am flattered. I am floored by how involved you guys would be, have been. However, I'm asking for a few more, if you don't mind. It's been a little while since we had some. It helps raise the profile of the show and helps more people find it. So if you don't mind, we would appreciate it. We're going to have to do an abbreviated version of, of feedback this time, guys. Uh, we're just we're running press for time. We've already been chatting for quite a while. Cause when, whenever I, when, yeah, it's my fault. Yep, yep, yep. When Shag leads the series, the book, yep. we have no it, time for feedback. It's not true. We have time. We just don't have as much time. So uh, without uh, any further ado, I'm going to stop, catch a breath, and take a drink of Diet Mountain Dew while I let Mr. Rob talk a little. All right. So we got an email from Negative Steve Mandel, uh, Mr. Comedian. Uh, he said, one of your, <laughs> I didn't mean that as sarcastic as it sounded. One of your commenters lamented that there was never a team up between Grodd, Ultra Humanite, Monsieur Mala, Titano, and the Gorilla Balls of Gotham. There was an episode of the Brave and the Bold animated series called Gorillas in Our Midst, where Grodd, Mala, and Gorilla Boss join forces to form GASP, short for Gorillas and Apes Seizing Power. Awesome. <laughs> I forgot about that. God, I love that show. Oh, it was such a good show. Uh, and then he ends it with, While I am doing an unsolicited testimonial in SuckTrades.com, I'd like to recommend DC's hardcover of Wednesday Comics. Neither Firestorm nor Aquaman get their own story, but Aquaman does get a couple of cameos. This is one of the most gorgeous books I've ever read. Most of the stories are a lot of fun, and the oversized format really highlights the awesome artwork. I cannot say enough good things about this book. Yeah, as a Treasury fan, I was a big, big, big supporter of Wednesday Comics right from the beginning, all the way through the collected edition. And uh, it's a pricey book, but it's, it is a ton of fun and it features some some of the greatest artwork you're ever going to see in a bunch of dc comics so i i wholeheartedly recommend that book as well uh, uh we heard from uh, joe x who wrote in talking about doug munch we, we had talked a lot about some of the characters from detective comics last issue he said doug munch created a few new villains in his batman and detective runs that were throwbacks to the 40 style black mask was one was the main one and film freak was reinvented in the one year later catwoman oh and that harvey bullet guy too Good things to notice. Ah, thank you, Joe, for yeah. bringing that to our attention. Mm-hmm. So we heard from Sphinx Magoo. We talked. We, we really ripped on the nuclear family from last issue, the ones uh, from the Outsiders. And he wrote in, oh, the nuclear family. The dad looks like the professor from Powerpuff Girls, and the mom looks like the mom from Dexter's Laboratory. That is hysterical. What a great observation, dude. Brilliant. I'm surprised neither of you mentioned the apron she was wearing. And young brat could be an anagram. For Bart, like Bart Simpson. <laughs> he said, uh, the nuclear family could be tweaked and redone as a version of the Fantastic Four and the Robinson family from Lost in Space in the New 52. <laughs> uh, we got an email from Jeff R. where he talks about an egregious omission of the month, uh, but then he flips it and he talks about the other category where the award falls, the destined for greatness category of characters who existed but would but would end up much more important in the future. The runner-up here is Oberon, who went on to be a major JLI-supporting character, and the winner is the Parliament of Trees, introduced a good four months before this as clearly a major addition to Swamp Thing mythology. That's a good catch. Uh, hmm. The, the um, Parliament of Trees later get a listing, I think, in one of the updates. But, uh, yeah, they, they got skipped here. And Oberon, too, yeah. Ober- I guess they just figured Oberon, not super heroic. You know, he didn't have powers. He's a supporting character, so we're not including him. Now, don't you remember um, the Parliament of Trees? Because you, you know, supporting characters can't appear as themselves. They actually got cut down, turned into pulp, and made into the uh, Zeta Necronomicon, and they appear in Who's Who Is That? Right? Wow, long way to go. It was a long way for a joke. Sorry. <laughs> uh, let's see. We heard from 
from our buddy David Gutierrez. He says, I was always a fan of Nightshade. I was disappointed when in Suicide Squad her power set shot up and she ended up with a very weak-looking flash dance costume of a very other time shades. It got worse when she ended up as an agent of law along with the other Charlton characters. She's one of those characters that writers never seem to know how to use. You know, he's, he's a bit right there. Um, not necessarily, I don't necessarily agree about the powers and the look, but the fact that the, no writer seems to know what to do with her. She, she shows up for a while, like, oh, let's make her Captain Adam's girlfriend again. Ah, never mind, let's get rid of that. Oh, let's make her a secret agent. Eh, we won't use her really very often. So, she, yeah, you're right. She doesn't get used very often. And you know what? And never mind. I, I go back on what I just said. I agree with you. The, her original costume that we saw in Huzu totally rocked. The orange and dark blue, midnight blue. This is an awesome mm-hmm. costume. Yeah, it's nice. Totally cool. Uh, we got an email from someone who just calls himself the KOT, and he mentions that there, I guess he or she, it's probably he, uh, just stumbled on. <laughs> let's be real. Let's be real. <laughs> just stumbled on the site and super excited and excited about the podcast. So uh, thanks for joining us, KOT, and uh, let us know what you think of the episodes as you listen to them. Cool. We heard from our buddy Siskoid. Siskoid runs a series of uh, entries on his site called Cisco's Blog of Geekery, sort of a companion to this podcast called Who's, uh, Who's This?, and uh, he's got some out there on his site covering Nightwing and Flamebird. He's got some covering the nuclear family. Uh, he's got some covering Night Slayer and Onyx. And I'm sure I'm missing one or two more. So but definitely head on over to Cisco's Blog of Geekery and see those as, again, like sort of a complimentary addition to this podcast. Uh, he makes a point about Outsiders HQ. A total... <laughs> Total, he hates the outsiders. Yeah, know that going. He does. In. Yes, he does. A total waste of space. I agree. Station Markovia sucks, just as the Wayne Foundation's building basement did. To think the Fortress of Solitude didn't get an entry. Think about that and try not to tear this page out. You know, I love the outsiders, <laughs> but he's completely right about that. I had forgotten entirely that the Fortress doesn't get a listing. So for Outsiders HQ to get one and the Fortress not, that is, yeah, that's crazy. That's yeah, absolutely. Crazy. absolutely. See, he wrote about Paradise Island. We need more Kanga races in modern comics. Sorry, Kanga races. <laughs> Was there some kind of continuity where the Amazons did come from the Amazon? Or is Shag reversing history like on Earth 3? The forest is named after the Greek myth, not the other way around. Whoops, my bad. Yeah, I make mistakes. It happens. Now, a contrary opinion here is we heard from Luke Giaconetti, who is a fan of the, the Outsiders. He said, uh, the Outsiders, one of the more infamous five-man band villain teams... Um, Oh, he's talking about an interesting mix of characters. Sorry. He named off a lot of different characters. And uh, and just in general, he he was giving a shout-out to enjoying the episode. I'm sorry. I got a little ahead of myself there. I get excited. I understand. Uh, We got got an email from Kyle Benning where he mentions, is Rob starting to come over to the dark side of composite Superman lovers? No. No, Kyle. I'm not. I was just saying, compared to the giant... Uh, giant fail, which is Nightwing and Flamebird. Composite Superman is actually pretty cool. I still think Composite Superman is ridiculous. He's just slightly less ridiculous than Nightwing and Flamebird. That's what I'm saying. I think I was resentful that with real estate and who's who so vital, giving uh, a, an alternate Superman identity a listing, even though they later became some other friggin' Kryptonian. I just, yeah, no. Uh, we heard from our buddy Ange, a couple of things that he, he mentioned. He said, uh, talk about the cover. I, I often talk about how I love Perez covers, but I feel like Dick Giordano is a very busy man and doesn't necessarily have the time to ink the covers to in, in as much detail as he should. And uh, um, 
Well, it's not necessarily the case in this issue, but in previous ones. Anyway, Ange came in and said, uh, first off, the cover. I agree that this cover done entirely by George Perez really pops and is better than the Giordano inked ones, which seem sloppy in some places. So someone agrees with me. Rob hates mm-hmm. me for it. Yep, anyway, I do. I don't, hate, I don't hate Dick Giordano, and it hurts my soul that you say that. Anyway, he, he also complimented me. He said, nice pickup on the nightshade obsidian wrapped in Nimbus visual shag. I'll always take a compliment. Thank you for that. Okay. And then Onyx. A character that really jumped out at us last time. He says, this is one of those entries where the art struck me. Jerome Moore was woefully underused by DC. This piece is perfect. Onyx is beautiful. So he said, you guys glossed over the best part of her te- of, of the text. Her, her headband held the wisdom key, which opened the Book of Ages, but it's unknown if it still does. Dun, 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 dun. Wow. Uh. Okay. thought it was just like an 80s thing. Uh, we got an email from... <laughs> She's a May. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the leg warmers of justice. We got uh, an email from Anthony Durso, a.k.a. The Toy Room. He takes me to task. Nightwork in Flamebird. Blasphemy, Mr. Kelly. Misspelling my name. Thanks for that, Anthony. This is the type of quirky Silvery Superman stuff I've missed since the Burn reboot. Although I followed Supes pretty consistently from Burn until just before New 52. I don't think anything grabs me like the Silver Age stuff. Crypto, Jor-El, Kuklor, Turtle Boy, Red Kryptonite, Bizarro Lois, and yes, Composite Superman are all old friends and concepts that I love to revisit again and again. Quite often bizarre and weird, it's still my happy place when I need to get away from the angst and despair of modern-day comics. I, I, I can't argue with that, Anthony. I really can't. I just find it completely silly and stupid, but I can't argue that other people enjoy it because, yeah, I, I can have some appreciation for, you know, I mean, I, you know, yeah. So <laughs> I'm not trying to dissuade you of that, Anthony. I just still hate Nightwing and Flamber. Again, I hate them more because they took up a page of Who's Who that could have been given to, you know, Prez or... Prez, oh, uh, Sugar and Spike, or Fox and Crow, or any of those other characters. They, they had Peter their own pork chops. Peter pork chops. And Fox and Crow had their own book for like a hundred issues. Anyway, he mentions also Omega Men. I think it's a good thing that the Omega Men have never been collected in a trade paperback. Waste of paper. The only time I enjoyed these characters is when they appeared in issues of Green Lantern and Teen Titans. Okay, supporting characters but not worth visiting on a monthly basis. Uh, he mentions also Onyx. It's an obs- it's obscure characters like this that make you wonder why they got a slot in Who's Who and others that actually had their own title did not. Mm, okay. Uh, uh, we heard from our buddy Earth 2 Chris. Uh, uh, it talks about Nightwing. It says, you can call it lame, you can call it disco, but this costume works for the character. It says Circus, Acrobat, and Batman. He's got Deadman's collar. And of course those are feathers. Come on. I'll admit the costume didn't work well under other hands. He loved the original Nightwing logo. And the only downer is that damn blood, brother blood reference in the entry. Thanks, Marv, for reminding us of that depressing, never-ending storyline. Yeah. He also takes me to task about Nightwing and Flamebird. I've already, See? I've already defended myself. Uh, regarding Peacemaker, he says, Keith Giffen was tapped to illustrate a Peacemaker strip in the proposed blockbuster weekly comic that was to feature the Charlton characters once DC bought them. That Charlton idea fell apart, but the weekly the weekly concept morphed into Action Comics Weekly. I don't think I knew that, so thanks for the information, Chris. He also takes me uh, even more to task for something I said in the last episode, which is completely and utterly wrong. I, compl- I pulled a boner, as Joker likes to say. The Penguin was not the first Batman villain on the TV series. It was, of course, Frank Gorshin as the Riddler. I don't know why I said it. I knew it. I knew I was wrong. I don't know why I kept saying it over and over again. Everybody got on me on that about a minute after we posted the episode. So I <laughs> completely screwed that up. It was, of course, the Riddler it was the first villain in Super in Batman. Speaking of the Penguin, we yep. heard from the famous Jack Dower, the world's largest Penguin fan. Uh, he says, Ahoy, fleet commanders. Finally, it's here. I was, simply sav- I was simply salivating at the thought of the sinister sultan of s- sartorial splendor getting his entry in Who's Who. 
it did not disappoint. Commander Kelly was kind enough to send me a scan of the entry a while ago, which I have hanging prominently in my cell or um room. Uh, I love the art here. Skipper Shag is right that it does look like a great superpowers ad. ad. So there you go, buddy. That one's for you, pal. You're welcome. Uh, Count Druncula, he left a kind of comment on the Alchemy Shrine. Rob, I'm going to leave this here on the shrine as a show of support because I hate Shag. <laughs> I've been thinking about. <laughs> Screw you, I've been thinking about anthology books and their lack of sales success that's come up in the last couple episodes of the podcast. It seems that every fan sees them as the last bastion of hope for unpopular characters, while wise and cynics dismiss that they would never sell. I've been reviewing Action Comics Weekly over at my Black Canary blog, and while I have no idea how well or how poorly the book sold at the time, I think that kind of anthology could find success today. And then you <laughs> could find sex today. Sex today. I would like that. <laughs> And then he goes on for some other ideas about how to make action comics and detective comics bumped up to like 48-page books and make them anthologies with, of course, Superman and Batman being the sales drivers. I, I, I think part of the reason people – the comic companies don't go for them is they said they're just a lot more work and they don't sell appreciably better than a non-anthology. So they're just not worth the time and the effort because you're talking about – four or five different creator teams and you've got that many more pages to crank out. It's just, you know, they're, they're, and I understand that if, if, if a comic that's not an anthology sells you know, 90,000 copies a month and an anthology sells 91,000, it's just not worth it. It's not worth all the effort to do. So I think that's partly why. And, uh, there just isn't, um, DC Marvel used to use anthologies to draft, to, uh, not draft, to, um, train new talent. And DC Marvel doesn't really do that anymore. They kind of want their artists coming to them as superstars already. You know, basically, that work has been farmed out to independent comics. Uh, well, so the, they're the, just yeah. Well, I was gonna say to be fair and to give DC some props. In, in recent years, they have pushed those backup strips. I don't remember what they they have a term for them. I don't remember what they call them. Um, where they would do like you know I don't know an eighteen page front story and an eight page backup story. And, you know, we, we saw some in Teen Titans with Ravager a while back. We saw, you know, just as recently as Justice League of America had a backup strip with Martian Manhunter for a little while, which probably would have gone longer um, yeah. if it hadn't been for so many crossovers and some unfortunate untimely deaths. Um, you know, it's, I mean, they've done, DC has done backup strips, you know. And that's not and an anthology, though. It's, a little it's not an anthology, but it's a half a step, at least, yeah. you know. So, uh, after his, his, his big diatribe where he mentions, you know, not being on my site, whatever, screw you, man. Um, the Tim Wallace came back and wrote the words that I don't think has ever been typed before. Count Dracula is a genius. Uh, he says, I'm sure this has potential to be a nightmare from an editorial perspective, but as a fan, I like the idea of anthologies and pinup books for that matter because I like the idea of being exposed to different artists and writers and characters. So it is, it is a shame that we are missing that opportunity. I'll give you that. And just to be perfectly clear, even though Count Dracula said he hated me and that's why he posted on Aquaman, Shrine. He then came over and posted on a Firestorm fan anyway, because he knows that's where the action really happens. It's true. It's absolutely true. Yep. We heard <laughs> from our buddy uh, Sean Corey, who thanked us for mentioning his Marvel vs. DC blog, but then sort of gave us some crap because we failed to mention his Captain Carrots Burrow blog. Uh, that's CaptainCarrotsBurrow.blogspot.com. Not that we're going to promote it here during a pig iron issue or anything. No, certainly not. Uh, we got an email from Martin Gray. He says, I'm with Sphinx Magoo. The Omega Men felt very much <laughs> like the Inhumans when they first popped up in Green Lantern, but I never liked them much. How come Pariah has puffy sleeves and Jericho has puffy sleeves? And they're both seven kinds of, oh, shit, Kevin, seven kinds of shite, whereas Firestorm has puffy sleeves and is awesome. Must be a George Perez thing. 
Oh, Shag, how could you ever think I would ever pick on you, Egypt? I don't know what Egypt means. It's idiot, I believe. Oh, nicely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, we heard from our buddy Luke Giaconetti. He is, I mentioned him earlier. He, here, here's his outsider's comment. I got a little turned around. He says, the nuclear family by Jim Aparo. Gotta love it. Considering how intentionally ridiculous this team was, the issues which introduced them from the Baxter paper series, the scenes of the nuclear holocaust, which Rob mentioned, is memorably horrific. And I still think this team can work, but only in the period story set during the Cold War. Hmm. That'd be interesting. I do love some uh, retro Cold War stuff. So, uh, we heard from our buddy Philemon. Philemon has a long history of being counter uh, to everything that we like. Everything we like, he he doesn't. Everything that we hate, he does. Uh, He talks about here, like, uh, how he's the outsider, and he looks great, and he never read the Omega Men, but boy, that's beautiful stuff. Uh, We were too harsh on the outsider. Um, I'm I'm just so appreciative that Philemon continuing to submit things just to give us people to point and laugh at. So thank you, Philemon. Please keep it up. We love it, man. Uh, we heard from Little Russell Burbage. From Clo- <laughs> there you go. We heard from Little Russell Burbage from Cloister, Vermont. Um, he says, uh, now, let, I'm just putting it out there. Now, Russell, I love you like a brother I've never met. But I got to say, man, you don't like any comics. Like, every letter we've gotten from <laughs> Russell lately is just like, I disagree with you guys. This comic sucks, and here's why. And then writes a very nice, well-thought letter. But he doesn't like anything anymore. Russell, you need to find your joy. I don't know what's wrong, man. I'm worried about you. He talks about how the cover's laid out badly. He agrees uh, with the other guys who don't like Orion and Perdegaton running on air. You know, they aren't the trickster, George. But the background characters are too small. Uh, He doesn't like the dog on Penguin's Umbrella. Okay, I agree with that. The dog does not belong on Penguin's Umbrella. That would bother me, too. The cover should have been more of an action shot of Penguin versus Nightwing with better characters. I'm just, I'm worried about you, Russell. Something, <laughs> is there something going on at home I don't know about? Anyway. If, if there was a lawn, we would be told to get off it by Russell. <laughs> so, uh, he did like the OSS issue of Showcase. Uh, we so forgot to mention cool. that, yes. The OSS yeah. guys did get their own issue of Showcase, which I believe is the last issue of Showcase. Is it really? Yeah, oh, before man. the implosion, yeah. I'd love to find that. So, and he agrees with us that the penguin issue, uh, penguin drawing, is very superpowerish. So it's yeah. really good. In fact, the Batman in the Serpent is JLGL, praise be his name, stock yeah. art pose. Oh, very nice. Look at that. And you know, he talks about the Mago. Okay, by the way, the penguin Mago doll. He mentions that. I got to tell you, um, I was watching Chuck last night. Uh, the show for NBC, Chuck. Yeah. And they did a flashback to his youth, and they showed his shelf full of action figures, and there was a penguin Mago on a shelf. <laughs> Sucker Very nice. Man. Very nice. I tell you. Uh, uh, Michael Bailey from Fortress of Bailey, too, one of our buddies wrote, <laughs> the subject line of his email was, hurry up, we got to get to Northwind. And he says, the subject of the email, hurry up, we got to get to Northwind, was uttered by Shag during the course of this episode. I feel as though we need to write this moment down in history because this is the first and last time anyone will ever <laughs> say these words. I love me some Infinity Inc. In fact, Scott Gardner and I have recently restarted Tales of the uh, Justice Society of America over two true freaks, so it's pretty obvious uh, that he has a love for the Infiniters. Having said that, Northwind is the least appealing character on the team, a team that consists of people named Brainwave Jr. and Silver Scarab. <laughs> lovely, lovely. So. Uh, we, got, of course, got an email from Diablo Frank. Many, many points. Number two, there's a scene in High Fidelity where Jack Black's character calls out John Cusack for making a safe pussy choice on, on a top five music countdown list. Saga of the Swamp Thing? 
I wouldn't say Rob sounds like Kyle Gass, but he does kind of sound like Ira Flato. I can take that. Uh, I would like to take this opportunity to defend Tenacious D's eponymous 2001 debut album as one of those infectious releases of the aughts, though. Yes, Frank was saying that me telling people to buy Sega the Swamp Thing was a safe pussy choice. I, I can't argue with that. I do love that movie, and it is better to burn out than to fade away. That's all I'm going to say on that. Yeah, uh, okay. Uh, he also mentions cheers to Sean McManus for collecting a full page rate for Nimbus while only having to draw a head, a hand, and pour indie ink over the rest of the figure. <laughs> hey, man, I, as a fellow artist, I can appreciate that. <laughs> Good for him, man. If he, if he managed to get that page done by noon and go out for the rest of the day, more power to him. Uh, we heard from him. His bullet points got sort of crazy and frenetic after a while. The letters just stopped and numbers appeared and swastikas and omega symbols and Thank stuff. Thank God for wingdings. Right, exactly. So I corresponded with William Mester Loeb's years back, and he confirmed that there was some sort of contractual obligation between DC Comics and the William Moulton Marsden estate that required a certain number of Wonder Woman comics to be published. I assume that's the reason the legend of Wonder Woman was created as a stopgap between volumes. My understanding is that DC is now owns 100% owns Wonder Woman without any such stipulations. I've never been able to will myself to read, I've never been able to will myself to read that miniseries. I think that miniseries was fun. There needs to be a documentary about that guy. Ooh, man, there is some crazy crap in that guy's life. He he, he, and he created Wonder Woman, invented yeah. the lie detector, and managed to talk his wife into uh, allowing a second woman into their relationship. And this was in the 40s. Yep. That's an interesting guy. <laughs> crazy stuff. <laughs> That's a movie. Come on. <laughs> Somebody make that movie. Um, um, yes. We heard from Zeb Oswalt, yes. who uh, backed us up. He said, Atari Force was awesome. Packrat was one of my favorites as a kid. Him and Dart. And uh, he said, I think, uh, Lo- just shortened it to Lopez, praise be his name, was still drawing Atari, <laughs> Atari Force back then. So, very cool. Always good to hear support for uh, the Atari Force. Eugene Hendricks wrote in, Rob made, during the last episode, Rob was talking about Wonder Woman, and he mentioned a landing strip on Paradise Island and said it was not a euphemism, which totally stunned me. I just, I couldn't do anything for a moment. In fact, I think Rob had to edit out about 30 seconds of pause. Um, Because Rob made his landing strip comment, I had a few moments of stunned silence, and I said, oh my God. And then Gene, Gene Hendricks says, my wife said, did he just get the joke? He says, no, he's just shocked that he wasn't the one to say it. <laughs> then Dale Russell came back and says he wants the job of bush trimmer at the <laughs> landing strip on Paradise Island. Don't we all, Dale? Don't we all? And Jay David Waiter uh, commenting goes, oh, joy, Northwind said nobody ever. <laughs> Bringing it all back home. Uh, and then finally, we're going to give out a Yellow Dot Award. I don't know if we gave, one out. I don't know if we gave one out last time. Uh, I think it's been a little while. It's been a little while. So we're giving one out this month for uh, above for, um, work above and beyond the Call of Duty. This is going to go to Siskoid. A previous uh, winner of the Yellow Dot. Previous winner of the Yellow Dot Award. Uh, yes, he is sort of, yes. I'm trying to think of that guy. There's somebody who's won like 60 Grammys. I'm blanking on well, who that like, is now. It's like Tom Hanks whenever he wins an Oscar. It's like, oh, great. I yeah, another big, one. I got to get a bigger mantle. Yeah. Uh, he, quote, he he posted a quote that we said. He said, someone should crunch the numbers on how many issues of Who's Who were wasted on New Gods, Omega Men's, and Atari Forceans or Atarians. Now, did we say that or did Frank say that? I don't know. I think we did, but I don't remember the Atarians okay. part. Either someone said it, though. Somebody said it. And he writes, challenge accepted. 
I guess <laughs> hopefully wearing a suit at the time. New Gods, 33. Omega Men, 16. Atari Force, 10. Wait, the, or- the order you read that was a little confusing. So it wasn't 33 Omega Men. It was New Gods at 33. Yeah. Omega Men at 16 and Atari Force at 10. Right. Okay. What was I saying? Well, it just you kind of read it together fast. Like, I, oh, I anyway, okay. I, I'm reading it in text. Then I got a little confused. Later. Okay. Anyway. Free of any new, new gods of Mega Man Air Force, Force content. Volumes 4, 19, 21, 24. Disclaimer. Four issues. Four issues. Disclaimers. I did not double check these figures. The new gods include Mr. Miracle and Forever People material, but not Jimmy Olsen Fourth World material. So that's basically limited to Guardian and the Newsboy Legion, which both originated long before. For the Omega Men, I counted all the Vegan system nonsense. <laughs> but wait, it doesn't, doesn't end there, does it? There were updates. The 87 update adds five pages of New Gods. The 88 update adds three pages of New Gods. Who's Who in the Legion adds three pages of New Gods. The 1990 loosely version of Who's Who adds 28 pages of New Gods. This time I did count Jimmy Olsen Fourth World stuff, specifically Intergang and the Cadmus Project. I also counted the Decide corrected reprint. Obviously, obviously those 28 pages are really sheets, and so it could be counted as 56 pages, but I haven't. The 93 update doesn't add any pages to any of the franchises. So official Who's Who releases final tally. New Gods, 72. Omega Men, 16. Atari Force, 10. Make of that what you will. Uh, what we make of that is a Yellow Dot Award. That is a, you have earned the Yellow Dot Award, man. Wow. I, yeah, that is amazing that somebody took that much time out of their day to do that. Now, personally, I don't have a problem with the New Gods being in the book. Omega Men... Uh, could be argued, but they just get on my nerves. Atari Force, I love them, but they don't. They, they should not be in the book. They should not be in Who's Who. Omega Men needed to be in the book as a team with some of the central characters getting their own listings, and the rest not. Yes, like, okay, it definitely doesn't have sixteen. Tigor, Primus, Callista, and Brute, and that's probably about it, really. I love the count, though. I mean, this is great. Yeah, well done, Sensei. Thank you so much. Well done, sir. Well done. Enjoy your second or third Yellow Dot Award that you've earned at this point. And he actually invented, uh, created for us the yellow pixel. Dot he did. So. <laughs> he gives it to himself. Well done. Go ahead and email it to yourself, Cisco, if you don't mind. <laughs> I call him Cisco. Ciscoid, sorry. All right, folks. That is another Who's Who issue in the can. Woof. So go ahead and go to your long boxes, uh, dig out issue 19, get it ready for next time. And uh, we're going to have a little bit of fun with that one, so be sure to read ahead, and we'll go through it together. In the meantime, you can find Rob at AquamanShrine.net. He's also on Facebook and Twitter under the same handle. And then you can find me at FirestormFan.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, and Instagram under the same handle. And Rob, tell him that Tumblr address one more time. FireAndWaterPodcast.tumblr.com. Awesome. And where can they email us? Firewaterpodcast at Comcast.net. Yep. And if, you don't, if you'd rather not email us, if you want to do it in a public forum, hit us up on our sites. And believe me, the rest of the Who's Who listeners will chat with you about your thoughts. So, um, you know, I, I, I kind of – I was working on a tagline. So how does it, how does it sound? Uh, as, we, as we go out, we say, you know, thanks, folks. Come out next month. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And who's next? Good. I like it. All right. Let's go Who's next? Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman. 
Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC. Who's who? Oh man, we forgot Slipknot. So anyway, Chief, I... Oh, just a second, Chief. Hi, I'm Plastic Man. Welcome to the show. For those of you who don't know, this is my show. I am a superhero and... Quite possibly the best superhero there is. Right, Chief? Frankly, no. <laughs> She's just kidding, really. <laughs> and now, on to our first adventure. Hey, 